Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, and we are recording just just real talk now. It's straight up real talk. Hello, and welcome to the Contrarian's five-year celebration as we look back on the uh, past five years of podcasting and reflecting, and also uh, the past year of the movies that we've done, 31 different movies over the past year, and uh, dish out our awards, our Embrys and Rouseys. Um, as well as the gad and the ruffalo. Yes, correct. We'll, we'll get to uh, the meanings behind those here in a little bit. But yeah, I, I imagine this isn't your first time listening to us, uh, seeing as this is a, a celebration, a five-year episode, us just circle jerking each other. But uh, for those of you who are listening to it, we do appreciate it. We Obviously, I don't know if we have a lot of fun doing this, but I can't say we'd do it week in, week out as we do if we didn't have listeners. And uh, doing this podcast is obviously strengthened julio and i's friendship allowed me to be his best man in his wedding which i was very honored by but also we've got to meet some cool people and had some cool experiences doing other people's podcasts and i say meeting obviously not shaking hands with but becoming friends with people that we wouldn't have otherwise and it's the 21st century i mean that's it's just meeting the internet is a powerful <laughs> thing the internet is 90 percent terrible and 10 percent amazing and unfortunately we've seen a lot of that 10 percent from uh, this adventure we've been on so to speak yeah i we have people if if the stats are to be believed we have listeners in england and australia <laughs> i mean peru doesn't surprise me because i'm from <laughs> peru but uh you know the people that listen to us i would imagine 99 percent of people that listen to us in other countries such as australia and england they're coming to us because We've either guested on Australian slash English uh, British podcast, or we've had something Australian not American, British. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or just because you know they've mentioned to their listeners that they like our show, and you know, and so our listeners grew. So it's good stuff. It I do feel like part of a community. I was uh, I don't know if I said it on the show. I guested on a special episode of the Epic Film Guys that so far hasn't been released about Napoleon Dynamite, uh -huh. and it was just like a bunch of different podcasters from different places in the world, and we're just having fun. And I'm like, wow, this is my life now. I'm just yeah. part of this thing, and it's awesome. To me, the coolest thing. It's only happened like two or three times. What we've told me about. There must be someone in, that just discovered us in this state or this place because they downloaded every single episode yes. that we did. That That's always the coolest. But even just domestically, uh, with the power of the internet and social media and whatnot, people I work with or something just being like, hey, listen to your podcast. Um, like I told you, we both had the same story about um, at my time, at, the, at that time, I should say, my boss was like, Hey, I listened to your podcast. I didn't really get it, but you guys sounded really good. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever really talked about my boss 
uh, on this podcast. I'm not going to start now, but I will just say Let that we... Let me tell we, you about this schmo. <laughs> the, no, the moment when he said that he had listened to the podcast and he was right after the Green Book episode. So not so long ago, but he was still... I just got a chill going down my spine. <laughs> Instantly trying to figure out what we had said that could be potentially offensive. And the answer was everything. So I was like, ah, well... And for me personally, this podcast is awesome uh, to vent creatively, be it just verbally, but also the process of editing and things like that is a lot of fun. And then also, uh, if you've listened to this, you know I'm big into pro wrestling and combat sports. And those, as an interest, are a disease. And anyone that's ever been a diehard pro wrestling fan will tell you it is a fucking disease. And so any time I can spend during my week away from watching wrestling or away from Twitter and away from that shit and focusing on a different type of art is great. I mean, I have a full-time job and shit, but a lot of times <laughs> when I'm home, wrestling is just on in the background. So I always, um, for the most part, relish these opportunities. Uh, we've <laughs> For the most part. There have been some movies we have done that like I have questioned this, in, this entire endeavor <laughs> over. I... Even with Voot sat through bad movies, like movies that were almost irredeemable, I knew that, well, if I got through it, we got to talk about it. <laughs> and so really the, the one of the biggest challenges is not to talk to you about it as we're watching it. I mean, that makes the whole thing a lot more entertaining for me. Yeah. I, you know, just like a peek behind the curtain. Usually we watch the movies together and, and we will talk, but... At least I try to keep myself from spoiling anything that I'm going to say while we're mm. recording because that way it just feels a lot more spontaneous, a lot more genuine, like to get your reaction whenever I say something that's outrageous or something that I know it's going to piss you off. Yeah. And uh, it, I, don't, I don't know that it was always that way, but I think that eventually I figured out that at least my method for this is to try to get a reaction out of you. And if I get a reaction out of you, then I know that I'm like on the right path. <laughs> keep pulling at the thread. Yeah. And then there are like also the occasions where I know that we're experiencing a movie in very different ways. And so it's not going to be, yes, Contrarian Corner is going to be funny. Mm -hmm. But once we get to real talk, that's when it's really going to get interesting. Gloves come off. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's very stimulating. It's great to have listeners, but it's also just great to be able to do it because it. I'm glad it worked out. It would have sucked if we'd like done two or three episodes and we're like, ah, you know what? Nope. <laughs> Uh, so with that in mind, celebrate our five years. We'll get to our awards here in just a moment. Uh, beforehand, though, Julio prepared some quotes. He's going to try to quiz me on past episodes. And then I also uh, prepared some just some reflective questions that cover our entire run, as it were, our well over 100 episodes. We're getting close to 100 in the uh, chronology of it all, the, the numeric episodes. But what do we got to be about 120 or so? At least, yeah. Um I mean, you you know that you've gone past 100, I think, when uh, you can't see all your episodes on uh, iTunes, or, you know? Yeah. That's that's the cap. So you can still access all our episodes if you go to our website. Uh, but if you're just looking at a podcatcher, whether it be Spotify or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, it just, like, we're on, like, on the early 30s, I think. Mm. So that's, like, a lot of stuff yeah. that's just not easily available. And well, that's fine because <laughs> yeah. the newer stuff is, you know... It better produced. So yeah, the idea is like we're gonna play a game, but it's also a bit of a walk down memory lane. I have thirteen quotes here, and Alex is gonna have to guess what episode the quote is from, who's speaking, and whether it's Contrarian's Corner or Real Talk. 
Is this just you and me, or were these episodes guests? Oh no, 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 no! I'm including our guests. Oh Jesus! This is part. That's that's part of the celebration. Okay. You know, uh, we have the the extended contrarian family, all the honorary <laughs> contrarians. Um, I'll give you I'll give you a hint though. I already given you one, which is that because I'm lazy, I wasn't gonna go to her website, mm-hmm. so I just went with the podcatchers. So. You don't have to worry about the first 20 or so episodes. Okay. I don't know how well you remember <laughs> our first 20 or so episodes, but you don't have to worry about those. Uh, the other thing is you don't have to worry about the guys from Spit and Polish because I was like, that's too too recent. I'm not going to quote them in this one. So uh, I didn't go with anything from the past year or so. So you're playing okay. with like more like the middle three years of our run. I, I told you right before we started, I'll be very impressed if you do well, mm-hmm. but uh, it should be fun anyway. So... I have them organized from uh, easiest to hardest. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm gonna attempt to keep your score. You get one point for each thing you get right. Th- uh, three points per quote. A total of it's 39 like whose points. Whose line is it anyway? The points don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but we just count them anyway. All right. So we're going to start with uh, this quote. What's the prestige? They explain it in the movie The Prestige. You know, the thing that distracts you so you don't see them actually performing the trick. Like, if I made a dove fly on the side, so you look at that instead of me switching the names of Pacino and De Niro. Well, so that would have to be Righteous Kill. All right, good. That's that's one point for getting the movie right. Yeah. Okay, well, who who said that? That would have been you. <laughs> Doesn't sound like something you would say? No. And were we in uh, Contrarian's Corner or Real Talk? I don't know why the fuck the prestige would come up in real talk. So I'm going to say Contrarian's Corner. That is correct. Nice. That is towards the end when we're talking about the big reveal that Pacino was the Nero. Oh, the Nero was Pacino. yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, if I can do this right, my, my plan is to actually play the clip with the quote. Okay. The magic trick where, what do you call it? It's, what's the prestige? They explain it in the movie, The Prestige, where, you know, the thing that distracts you so you don't see them actually performing Slide the of hand? Well, it's like a hand, what do you call it? But the prestige would be like, you know, if I make like a dove fly on the side, so you look at that instead of mm-hmm. me switching the names of Pacino and De Niro. <laughs> 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 that, so that's the thing, like casting De Niro and Pacino here, that's... All right, next one. Um... Uh, it's just, it really, it's a hot topic movie. It's like, I don't know, what are your favorite bands? Iggy Pop and the Stooges. They're fucking terrible for one thing. And it's like, oh, it's because people know who Iggy Pop is. I have no fucking idea. Oh, come on, man. This is just so easy. No clue. It's a hot topic movie. Come on. Hot topic movie. Yeah. Blanking, man. All right. It's a guest. It's not you or me. It's a guest. That sounds like something Reed would have said. Yes, it is Reed. Okay. Oh, so I guess it'd be Juno. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's not the... It could be the Halloween 5 commentary. No. But... No, I remember most things from that. Uh, Contrarian's Corner or Real Talk? Uh, Real Talk? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's talking about just I... the references. There was a longer quote. I just I just shortened it. Where I, could, he's just... I could hear him saying Right. He's just going on it. and on about Juno being a big fan of Suspiria in... Oh, Dario Argento? Right, and we're like, you know, she should have gone with something a little more obscure, like Tom Savini. Yeah. (laughs) It just, it really, like, it seemed, it's a hot topic movie. Yeah. It's like she, I don't know, it's like, what are your favorite bands? Like Iggy Pop and the Stooges. They're fucking terrible, for one thing. (laughs) And it's like, oh, because people know who Iggy Pop is. Yeah, Rancid, the Ramones. Yeah. Like the Sex Pistols. All right. Help you a little, but still. Yeah. Um, all right. Number three. A Craven-esque twist, as it were. I mean, Sam Jackson and Drew Barrymore are pretty much interchangeable, so it has the same effect here. Was that me? 
That is you. Okay. Good. Samuel Jackson and Drew Barrymore. Um, was it basic? Yes. Okay. Contreras Corner or Real Talk? Uh, Contreras Corner? Yes. Nice. Yeah. Have we done any Sam Jackson movies besides basic? Old Fiction. Yeah. But you're talking about the fact that they kill Sam Jackson early on. Like, they kill Drew Barrymore, Wes Craven, in Scream. And and you came here to watch the the Vincent Vega Jules reunion. Yeah. And and now Sam Jackson is gone. How's that going to happen? Is Travolta going to travel back in time and... And prevent his murder? A Craven-esque twist, as it were, here. I mean, Sam Jackson and Drew Barrymore pretty much are interchangeable, so it it has the same effect here. All right. Number four. One of the things I felt they really dropped here is his son grows to respect him, but he doesn't change at all. He gives his son zero respect. His son is in the fucking CIA. He's a trained spy and gets zero respect from his father. Uh, His son is in the CIA. I don't know. Nothing movie, Contreras Corner, Real Talk. Was that you that said it? No. Okay. Uh, so you got one wrong. Um, Would have been in Contreras Corner, though? It was in Real Talk. Shit. Sons in the CIA. I, I know, like, just by, based on that plot synopsis, it's going to come to me <laughs> immediately. What was it from? A Good Day to Die Hard. That's our friend Chaz oh, Fisher. Oh, good one, Chaz. <laughs> Talking about one of the many things that's wrong with... Uh, that relationship jet lag tired and three beers deep chaz <laughs> still managed to get ripping on and die hard john mcclain dealing with his son like i could imagine that for john mcclain's masculinity the respect of his son could have been super important and one of the things i felt they really dropped here is his son grows to respect him but he doesn't change at all. Yeah. He gives his son zero respect. <laughs> his son is in the fucking CIA. Sorry, I don't know if we can swear on this podcast. Oh, He's yeah. a trained spy. And he gets zero respect from his father, who didn't even know yeah. that he was a spy. Yeah. He it, speaks Russian. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Number five. Uh, my experience with Irish filmmakers or people co-opting Irish culture for their films, I was led to believe everything was awful and everything was like Boondock Saints or Martin Madonna movies. And this is quite the opposite, and I was supremely disappointed. I mean, they only say the F word once in this movie. What is this? Are they even Irish? Is that Eddie? That is Eddie. Okay. <laughs> was it the F word? No. <laughs> well, it was that and then the Boondock Saints dig in there. Um, and then you said Green Book wasn't eligible? Uh. Well, I said nothing from this past year. So I guess that would make Green Book not eligible. Okay. Is, isn't Peter fairly Irish? What else has he done with us? Scream 4. And uh, was it It Follows? No, it's not It Shit. Follows. Is it Contrarian's Corner or Real Talk? Uh, Contrarian's Corner? Yes. Okay. Contrarian's Corner for Sing Street. Oh, I forgot all about Sing Street. <laughs> Super Irish movie. Yep. Part of my problem with Sing Street that I, I never really knew I had until earlier today was that my experience with uh, Irish filmmakers or people co-opting Irish culture for their films, I was led to believe every everything was awful and uh, you know everything was like Boondock Saints or Martin McDonough movies, and this is quite the opposite, and I was um, supremely disappointed. All right, uh, number six. This reminded me of Jason Takes Manhattan, where at the end, the director of the movie clearly despises New York City. And this is very, very reminiscent of that. This director doesn't really seem to have a high opinion of New York City or its denizens. I mean, that would be me. 
it's not you. <laughs> Who the hell decided Jason takes Manhattan then? Is it Reed? No. <laughs> Who was it? Uh, well, if I tell you, it's it's going to tell you what movie it is. Oh. So can you guess which movie? Oh, or... was it was it my sister? Yes. With Big? Yes. Okay. And that would have been Contrarian's Corner? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, the one movie that your sister's done with us. And of okay. course, I almost said, well, no, it's not you, but it might as well be. Oh, that's, that's it was just missing. It was just missing a wrestling reference. There. Yeah. Um, gets them a room, like, to the crazy guy, like, speaking to himself. It, it reminded me of Jason Takes Manhattan, <laughs> where at the end, the, the director of the movie clearly despises New York City. <laughs> and this is very, very reminiscent um, of that and big in that like this director does, Penny is it Penny Marshall? doesn't oh, yeah. seem to really have a high opinion of New York City or, yeah, his, no, or its think, denizens uh, I think she's hashtag team suburbs <laughs> <laughs> number seven they only gave her one emotion throughout the movie they were like you have to be the tough girl and the only girl in the room and you have to make all these men feel belittled was this from our female arc yes was it Zero Dark Thirty? Yes. And was that Kinsey that said that? Yes. Okay. And that would have been in Contrarian's Corner? No, it was real talk. Ah. <laughs> That's how she really felt about uh, Jessica Chastain's character. That being said, I've seen her be so much better in other things. They only gave her like one emotion throughout the movie. They're like, you have to be the tough girl and the only girl in the room. And you have to make all these men feel like belittled and... Um, and then, like, even the- you know, I was the movie really sucks. It, I always forget how much you don't like it. It's so boring. It and you know, I and as listeners of our five years know, <laughs> the biggest crime, in my opinion, a movie can commit is being boring. Um, the way I did this I, is I just listened to the episode at uh, twice the speed um, until I heard something that was a good quote to pull, and then you know, like slow it down and, and pull it, but. Uh, so I like absorbed a lot of contrarian's history like really quickly, <laughs> and uh, and that was one of the things. I was like, man, I forgot how much Alex hated this movie. <laughs> I just remember uh, Stanson contrarian's corner on the the ending was being upset that they'd actually show Bin Laden. Right. Yeah. That was the 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 big reveal was that there was no reveal. Yes. <laughs> and, and therefore, we're just mad that uh, they didn't cast like Alfred Molina. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> that was it, yeah, in a Santa beard. Uh, all right, number eight. Can I be that guest that needs to take a bathroom break? So you know it's a guest. Is it? Is it Curtis? It's not Curtis. Oh, fuck. No, 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 because he just got up and left while right. we were recording. <laughs> yeah, come on. You know better than to expect Curtis to actually ask for permission. Is it Ashley? It's not Ashley. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Who's our first guest? I think Curtis might have been our first guest. Mm. Um, no idea. When I tell you the guest, you're gonna know everything else. It's TJ. Oh, so mixed nuts. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, Contrarian's Corner or Real Talk? Uh, Real Talk. No, Contrarian's Corner. It's at the end of Contrarian's Corner when we're gonna take a break for Real Talk, and then he goes, "Oh well, can I be that guest and oh, a break? Nice. <laughs> That's a break." All right, well, I'm ready for real talk. Let's do it. Can I be that guest that needs to take a bathroom break? Oh, dude, we always it, take it, a little it, break it happens. Here. Yeah. yeah, it happens. Okay, number nine. He's a seasoned man. He should know how to treat a hooker. 
Was that you? No, it's not me. Okay. Yeah, these are getting difficult because <laughs> these could apply to a lot of things. I mean, my strategy would be like, what's the movie? Because if you figure out the movie, then you can figure out if it's a guest movie or not. Yeah. But I don't know if you can think of a seasoned man that should know how to treat a hooker. It's not smoking aces, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to guess if it's Contrarian's Corner or Real Talk? That sounds like a Contrarian's Corner. That is correct, but it was lost in translation, and it was Ashley talking oh, about. Oh man, I just tra- I just guessed Ashley. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about, of course, the classic scene where uh, they send a hooker up to Bill Murray's room, and he just makes a bunch of offensive racial jokes. That's right. But yeah, so of course they'll send a hooker to give him a massage, and then act, I guess, sexy. And he's a seasoned his- man; he should know how to treat a hooker. The big debate in that episode was, did he have sex with her? Because I thought he did, and I think Ashley didn't think he had sex with her. Yeah. Also, while listening to that episode, I've forgotten how much you liked it. Out of the three of us, you were the one that That was one of the episodes that changed, that completely did a 180 on my uh, feelings of a movie. Um, Number 10. Daniel Goldhaber, who watched The Neon Demon once and then made a movie. That sounds like something I would say. Correct. Okay. That is you. Now, which movie did he make? Daniel Goldhaber. uh... So, you know, it's not one of the heavy hitter movies. No. Was that It Follows? No. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to guess if it's Constraints Corner or Real Talk? Are you being serious or are you being facetious? That sounds like something I would potentially be serious about, so I'm going to guess Real Talk. No, it's Contrarian's Corner. Damn it. And it's for Cam, our uh, live oh, show on my birthday. fuck you. I was drinking during that. I don't remember. <laughs> I've never seen a movie by this person before, and I will get into it in Real Talk, but I think it is their first movie. Uh, I believe you are correct. I'm okay. To, yeah. So, up. I mean, I will... Daniel Goldhaber, who watched The Neon Demon once and then made a movie. I was going to say... All right. Just a few more to go. Who made it follows, though? Because I, oh, that sounded like something I would say to jab at that movie. If uh, if I hear the guy's last name, I would remember. But David Robert Mitchell. Yes, I would have. A, no, it would have to be the full name for me to recognize him. Great movie. Uh, all right, number eleven. As a male, I found this whole movie illuminating because, you know, women are a mystery. They're a puzzle. And sometimes it's good when a movie breaks it down and shows you step by step what their lives are like. And there are times, like in this movie, when I was shocked to realize that, hey, we're more alike than I thought. Is that you? That is totally me. Okay. (laughs) Long-winded as fuck to to get to that punchline. (laughs) What movie am I talking about? Oh. That made me realize that women are just like men. Was it This Means War? No. Okay. Good guess, though. Yeah. No, it was Valley of the Dolls. Jesus. <laughs> Our most popular episode ever. Actually, I don't know if that's still true, but for the longest time, it was our most popular, like our most downloaded episode. Who knows why? Tarantino was doing his research for uh, Once Upon a Time Just, in Hollywood. Uh, these guys, are they got something here okay. <laughs> I think this is a really good step. Um, Contrarian's Corner or Real Contrarian's time? Corner. Yeah. yeah. I think that's like within the first five minutes of the episode. That was like my <laughs> opening salvo. And she's going on to the city and her family can't believe that she's moving away for a job in New York City. Yeah, as a male, I, I found this whole movie illuminating. Because, uh, you know, women... 
women are a mystery. They're a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes it's good when a movie just breaks it down and shows you step by step what their lives are like. Mm-hmm. And and there are times like in this movie when I I was just shocked to realize that, hey, we're more alike than I thought. <laughs> All right. Two left. Number 12. If I may, I don't want to derail the conversation, but let's talk about race as the great equalizer in this movie. Because race is the default thing that people fall back on when they're trying to act as if they don't need people. Is that Curtis? That is Curtis. (laughs) (laughs) That's Curtis going for profound and kind of like tripping over his his own words. Uh, What is he talking about? Oh, fuck. Is it um, Magnificent Seven? No. 48 hours. Come on. Race. Duh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm so I, I remember more because he did 48 hours and another 48 hours right. with us. yeah so um, yeah he didn't even do Magnificent Seven with us he did the Wild Bunch did we do the Magnificent Seven though? just the two of us okay we did the Wild Bunch with him yeah I just remember for whatever reason I have a much more vivid rem- remembrance of that recording session because that movie was so fucking long <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and that's the one where you just got up in the middle of it went to take a piss I was like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> Um, so was that real talk or Contrarian's Corner? That's that sounds like a, a real talk. That is real okay, talk for yeah. Curtis. Uh, he had another. I can hear him. <laughs> if I may, verbiage that's used is kind of shocking by today's standards, but it's okay. Well, let's. Uh, if I may, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to derail the conversation. But let's talk about uh, race as the great equalizer in this movie. Because race is the default thing that people fall back on when they want to admit that they, when they're trying to act as if they don't need people. Because James Remar is like, squaw this, squaw that. But clearly, Billy Bear is his best fucking friend. There's also a a really funny moment that I didn't pull because it was not related to the movie at all. uh, But where he goes... I may say this may be a little controversial, but I think Bowfinger. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, Bowfinger is the Tropic Thunder of the 90s or something like that. <laughs> All right, final quote. You kind of think that making one of their movies, when you look at the content and how they make them, making one of their movies is like going to war. And you can tell that after each movie, there's been a couple of new people that they've been like, all right, you're permanently in my platoon. We're a unit. We're a family. I'm going to take you on because you are an all or nothing kind of cat. I haven't the slightest idea. <laughs> Not even the, the movie, the the way that he's describing the, the process. Is that Chaz? That's not Chaz. Okay. You guess real talk or contrarian's corner? Is that a contrarian's corner comment? That is a contrarian's corner comment. Okay. Mm. I mean, if I tell you who it is, then you're going to know the movie. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a Thanksgiving episode. Oh. What Thanksgiving episodes did we do? Is that the one we had Corey on for? Yes, it's a Rob Zombie. He's talking about Rob Zombie and his family of uh, actors. Oh, and... That's a cheat. How that, is that a cheat? That was a comprehensive episode. The, the quote's still there. Uh, okay. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good deep track. You, know, you kind of think that making a Rob Zombie movie, when you look at the content and like how they make them, going and making a Rob Zombie movie is like going to war. You know? <laughs> and like you can tell that after each movie, there's been a couple of new people that Rob Zombie's been like, all right. You're permanently in my platoon. Like, we are a unit. We're a family. I'm going to take you on because you are an all-or-nothing kind of cat. Like, yep. when my back's against the wall, you know what's up. For some reason, I was starting to think about it with uh, Chaz defending uh, American Hustle. American Hustle. <laughs> yeah, that's where my mind went. 
yeah. So if you go, if you go back, uh, that's the first episode that shows up right now. Like the so that'll be the next one to disappear on a podcatcher when we post. By now, but when you're listening to this, that episode will be gone. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like I said, you can listen to them all in the in our website. Uh, we are the Contrarians.com. All right. So that was the quotes game. That was just a warm up. Obviously, I'm gonna edit the really long time that <laughs> took you to come up with your guesses. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's your turn. What you got for me? All right. Uh, just a couple of questions here, reflecting over the entire five year run. Um, so just going down in the order I sent them to you. Uh, which movie were you surprised we got? the most from like a movie that we watched and on the surface because there's but we've talked about this recording there's been a couple we've gone into i'm like i don't know how the fuck we're gonna spin this right yeah uh and then there's the opposite where you just go into a movie and so there's different ways why i would have been surprised right like some of them are because i just don't know the movie i only know the movie by reputation so something like uh the guilt trip or uh, the Punisher from 1989. It's like, yeah. I know them as bad movies. So I'm just thinking this is going to be, we're not going to get much out of this other than just making fun of how bad they are. And so then when they actually turn out to be good, I, I had more yeah. to, to play with. It's almost one of these movies that we've watched where it doesn't deserve an ending that good. <laughs> like... right. I, I wasn't kidding, Contrarian's Corner. That final confrontation, I was pumped because I could tell that they were not going to walk away from from something more difficult, you know, from having the kid is there and the dad's double crossing him and Castle ends up not forgiving. Like, he doesn't spare his life. You're so right, too. Today, if that happened, they would just kind of give each other a look and this doesn't change anything and they would both go their separate ways. So that was a nice surprise. But then there's also movies that I knew were good and I just... It wasn't so much it was a surprise that they were good. It was just that it was when I think of how much we got out of the recording, I was like, that's even more than I would have expected. Like, take me home tonight. You yeah. know, it's like we still that's talk about like take me the home benchmark. tonight. Exactly. He's really funny in this. He's amazing. He's just so good. When he does Coke for the first time and he comes up and there's Coke all over his nose. <laughs> that and that scene we we're talking about where he's pretending to talk to his boss on the phone, bottom line it for me. Like that. <laughs> yeah. And then there's this shot of him. It's not like a line, but it's this visual gag at the end where uh, Wendy finds out that Matthew slept with Tori and she turns to him yes. and he gives this nod of approval. Yeah. It's so fucking great. And then there's movies that I knew, but I didn't realize, you know, even knowing they were good, like they were not great. And somehow they became great as we were doing the episode. Like here comes the boom. Yeah. I think by now it's like we both like it. <laughs> Real talk, we really like it. Uh, here comes the boom or the wedding singer. There, here comes the boom. Okay, because uh, I was gonna say I, I like like I mean besides everything else, like the way it's directed, the way it's shot, mm-hmm. I actually like it. Mm-hmm. Like I was still, uh, I, I was not kidding. And during hashtag CC that <laughs> that those fight scenes are are pretty well shot. Mm-hmm. And I never would have guessed that that's from you know somebody that does the kind of comedies that Happy Madison is, is known for. Yeah. So, so there's that. And then I kind of like, I threw on my list like London, because honestly, when you described it to me, I was like, can we even do an hour of that? <laughs> we could. That was definitely a movie we got a lot out of. And I think any purist that we still had listening to us up until that point <laughs> abandoned ship when we said we were way more likely to watch London again than the African Queen. <laughs> 
We didn't do this for African Queen, but my we always uh, Julio likes to do star ratings. I do letter ratings. I would say C minus for this. Um, two and a half. I'll give it two and a half with like you know the the little heart that says that I enjoyed it. <laughs> Beware though, you may not uh, watch it for save him. Yeah. Uh, African Queen's you brought up three stars, maybe no heart. <laughs> so, yeah, African. Uh, I, I'm more likely to rewatch London than the African Queen. Uh, I, I feel that, and I also feel like. <laughs> So many bullets being put in the chamber right now listening to this podcast. How fucking dare you? <laughs> and it's true. It's true. Um, Yeah, I know it's super recent, but I was re- er, listening to him after the episodes were released. I was very uh, taken aback by how much we were able to get out of the Nightmare Before Elm Street, or Nightmare on Elm Street, excuse me, movies. Oh, no kidding. You even say it on the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is uh, well, well until I'm proven different. I don't know of two people that on two consecutive nights have gone this deep into the Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street franchise. Did uh, uh, have any of the episodes or deep dives that we've done actually completely changed your view on a movie? Um, yes, I I was looking because you know obviously you just mentioned the Elm Street uh, mm-hmm. two parter and it was just really weird that. Like that complete 180 for me thinking that the remake was completely forgettable to me passionately defending it in real talk. <laughs> but the contrast, especially watching them back to back here is just staggering. You know, here it was just refreshing to have real actors. You have like, oh, these are people that are just, you know, when they when they say their dialogue, even when it's bad lines, because there's a lot of groaners in this one. It's just it just feels like a real movie. Whereas like in the other one, it's just like, oh, this is just something that we did with our friends fucking around. I understand why it looks like that. But in the end, which one am I going to prefer to watch? The one that looks like a movie and feels like a movie or the one that looks like put together haphazardly with Johnny Depp like locking out <laughs> in there? I went through the the rest of our episodes and I I remember one, Gremlins not being as good as I remembered. <laughs> um, that's part of our Chris Columbus, Columbus Day uh, Christmas. Christmas episode. I like Gremlins. I watching it this time. Like, remember, I texted you halfway through, and yeah. I was like, "Man, this movie is great." And then, shortly after, it was not that great. It's not bad, but I did feel that shift that I referred to uh, in the in the first half of the podcast, uh, where it goes from being like kind of like a, a an awesome kind of like crazy movie that I didn't know where it was gonna go to just becoming an all out like creature horror movie, where it's yeah. just like, "Oh, the Gremlins are." taking the town down and, it's and then just... they figure out like in the end like it's big weak point yeah million dollar baby i remember liking it more after re-watching it for the show uh even acknowledging all its problems budget of 30 million and it made 216.8 million at the box office and it is a pandering <laughs> a highly highly overrated over decorated c plus film wow yeah, I, I hate to say it, Alex, but I disagree with you. I actually quite liked it. <laughs> I uh, I certainly liked it more than the first time I saw it. Uh, but really, the big thing would be Greece, which I still have serious issues with. But the process of watching it with you and my wife, recording the episode, and then editing the episode, and having to listen to the soundtrack to plug the songs in, it was just, by the end of it, I had the fucking soundtrack on my Spotify. <laughs> and I was like, well... I guess I'm converted. This is where I am now. Yeah. Should jump right into it. Do you like you like it more than Greece? Yes. But I'll be more likely to rewatch Greece 
which is a huge achievement of the Summer of Travolta, probably the biggest accomplishment. Uh, it, it's not over yet, but I think the biggest accomplishment is not make me 100% a Grease convert, but at mm-hmm. least getting me halfway there, maybe, where I can see myself enjoying that movie in the future. So, so easily the most dramatic shift was with Grease. I was so happy that I was able to find on the internet someone facilitated just that one clip I love so much of Sonny going, let's hear it for the toilet paper. <laughs> so I just have that on my work computer now to just reply to things anytime it is, uh, is the opportunities there. Uh, which episodes have been the most fun for uh, you to record or for us to record, I should say? Easily. As soon as I saw that question, I knew number one is the Travoltis. <laughs> the Travoltis is, and it's kind of a shame because really, you can't really listen to the Travoltis out of context. I mean, no. you, you can and you'll get some out of it, but really, you have to go at the very least on the journey of the entire that summer was of our Travolta. End game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't watch it without watching all the, the previous 20 movies. So, once you've gone, not only watch the movie, but listen to the episodes and listen to our reactions to the episodes, then the Travoltis are just like the perfect thing. It has, I remember not being able to stop laughing while we were doing the, the Travolta Taco Bell menu yeah. and the Travolta penises. It was just... <laughs> Throughout the summer of Travolta, we had the Travolta penises, the mini penises of Travolta and what what movies mean what penis. So we'll be cutting down the top five Travolta penises and also... The Travolta Taco Bell menu. Basically what you're getting when you order something. Quite possibly the classiest segment we've ever done <laughs> here in the Contrarians. <laughs> it's just peak like it's a high point of our podcasting career. And but then like I like I said, you can't just tell people, yeah, listen to this one. <laughs> you know, it's like more like do you have a like ten hour commitment? And and that's just for the episodes. Um I also remember uh having a blast uh, with uh, both the A team and with the This Is Forty episodes, This Is Forty because one, I knew how much you hated it, <laughs> and so to, to have to hear you like talk about it, even you didn't defend it because that was a gray area, but still, just knowing that you had to watch it again and then spend time talking about it, it was just. Uh, and also, I remember saying it out loud when we were doing it. I said, "I want to try to understand why I don't like it. I know mm. I don't like it, but I was hoping that." Talking it through will, would help. And it did, I think. Well, I mean, you know, this is real talk, so let's get real. Because I'm trying to figure out what, why I react so negatively to this movie. Why do you react so negatively to this movie? I hate it. Right, but, but why? You know, it's like, because, I mean, it's not a good movie. And you can just say it's not a good movie, but why do we hate it? And I don't know that I hate it, but I certainly... Especially the second time around, because I was I was really kind of hoping that I would like it a lot better this time. So I just uh, this is the second time you've seen it because I only saw it once before, also. Right? Yeah, yeah I, okay. I think I screened it, and now this is my second time. I saw it in the theater, yeah, and it's um, back when I used to write because when I we worked together, I was in the loop. I saw movies all the time. I I said it was the worst movie of the year it came out in, and I wholeheartedly stand by that. Uh, and then the A team for the opposite because I knew you loved it. And the whole thing was that I didn't tell you how I really felt until real talk. Yeah. So that was that was fun. And I say it was cute. Rude, first it, off. It's uh, like I told you, it's, uh, Joe Carnahan's Avengers. So <laughs> the A team. Let's let's focus on one thing, Alex. I did like it. I had a good time. Okay. All right, as you should, because it is a prime example of what happens when a stupid 
popcorn movies put together with an A-list cast. And Minus then, your boy Rampage. Rampage. And then other highlights, I think when we finally got to record the American Hustle episode with Chaz, that was just like a big release. That was <laughs> that was Brian Cranston in The Upside. That was just <laughs> us screaming because we finally got it and it was just as great as we thought it was going to be. But yes, American Hustle. We've talked about this since the podcast began. Um, it's it's been a long, arduous road. I did it. I did as long as I could a job of putting it off. But you know the, the stars aligned, <laughs> so we are here today. Um, and also, I have really fond memories of that thing you do. Not just not just for the episode, but also watching it mm-hmm. was a lot of fun because I guess we knew the movie better than we thought. We just kept quoting it as we were going yeah. through it, so th- that was a lot of fun. Yeah, all those you mentioned, and I, I have a particularly fond place in my heart, too, for the Halloween 5 commentary track we oh, did. Oh, yeah. That was a lot of fun. One of the things about this, this was like in all advertising and posters and shit, was Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. But as you can see in the opening credits, they just kind of abandoned that, and it was just Halloween 5. <laughs> and it follows the Pink Panther uh, titles, too, because it's The Return, The Revenge, and The Curse. <laughs> Which one has Steve Martin with the French accent? That was cut from six. That was Rob Zombie's Halloween, too. <laughs> Michel. I remember I was, I, that was just in your hands. Because I was like, Alex, I can't do a commentary to a movie that I haven't seen. <laughs> and we did pretty well with it. it yeah, helped. I mean, the setup and just the fact that I, like I said, it was just in your hands on reads. You guys were driving and I would just chime in whenever mm. I could. Um, which movies were a struggle to talk about? So this is kind of the inverse of the first question about the ones we got the most from. Wh- which ones did you find yourself having a hard time being contributing positively or negatively or just really mustering up the words? So as I was going down the list, I was like, okay, so there's two different kinds of struggle. One is the technical struggle and one is the, the content struggle. So there's three technical struggles that I remember. One is... I think it's been like our only remote recording uh, Mm -hmm. when we did Hairspray. Yeah. And you were fucking exhausted. (laughs) I was like, Alex is going to fall asleep on me if we we just stop talking. Yeah. It is almost one in the morning. I am in Wichita Falls, Texas on a work assignment and Julio is back in Austin. We are here to record a bonus episode. If I sound tired, it's because I am. But Julio, I'm going to trek through this. I think that uh, any other movie, maybe we wouldn't be able to do it, but but this one, I think, uh, will get us through. <laughs> well, also because like fucking eighty percent of this movie is just music, we can just easily breeze through it. So that's the that's the trick. You can't tell. That's that's the beauty. Like all these things I'm gonna list, like in all these, you can't tell in the episode because through the magic of editing, <laughs> it just it's all it's all good. But. Like the, with hairspray, there weren't any lulls, but it was more like I was constantly. I was very aware that you were so tired mm-hmm. that I, I was afraid that I was gonna lose you, and thankfully you just hung on the entire time. Uh, Sing Street, actually, again, you can't tell when you listen to the episode, but that was. A, I don't know how much of this you remember, but it was. We watched it, and then we were just waiting for Eddie to get here, and it took him like an hour That's to get right. here. So there was just this cool down period between watching the movie and and doing the recording that we usually don't have yeah and i remember feeling it it was it it wasn't just that it wasn't just that i felt that oh wow we kind of like lost the warm-up but also that once we got to real talk we peaked on the phone 
dude, literally, it was it was more like we were in such agreement that we really didn't have much to say. Mm. You know, again, I I remember cutting everything out. So like when you're listening to it, there's no gaps, there's no like meandering. We're we're trying to find out like a hook to keep the conversation going. But at the night of the recording, I was like, man, is that it? Because we have like ten minutes of real talk. <laughs> This was uh, our guest Eddie's recommendation. I had zero familiarity with the film leading into this. Um, and the research was fairly minimal. I couldn't find too much about it, but I quite enjoyed it. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Real Talk with Alex Radish. What else needs to be said? Coming up next. <laughs> Contrarians after dark. For 45 minutes of plugs. <laughs> And then, of course, the mummy episode where uh, we we went down to one microphone. Oh, so yeah. We got that, real close. Yeah. That was – I mean, again, the episode, it was pretty sweet because somebody – I think Nick from the Apple Film Guys uh, posted that he was listening to that episode. He posted his playlist and, you know, the mummy yeah, episode yeah. was there. And I said, oh, that's when we got really close and personal. And then Billy from We Watch a Thing went like, oh, that's one of my favorite episodes of yours. Yeah. And I was like, that's good to know because I'm always – you know, it's like, well, nobody has complained about it, but you can tell that we're using only one microphone. Let's talk about Brandon Fraser for a moment, because I think you're overselling him as an action hero and just underselling how much of a knockoff he is of uh, Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford in general. Harrison Br- Ford's hair was never quite that nice. Okay, so he has one original thing going for him. And not even original. He's got the, the Joey Tribbiani hair. I think it's the second time in less than five episodes of this podcast that we've had Joey Tribbiani hair show up. Uh, in Early the movie. season Joey Tribbiani. Yeah, with the with the bangs, the side bangs. So that's tech stuff. As far as like actual content struggles, uh, Johnny Mnemonic, uh, I think I the plot was so convoluted that I mean, again, that was good because you were doing the recap and I just had to just riff off whatever you were saying. But that was, it's really hard to just follow. The movie's just a struggle, period. (laughs) Yes. It is boring. It doesn't make sense. The acting leaves a lot to be desired from the main player being Keanu Reeves. Because Keanu's a very, um, I always love in situations like this, like musicians and stuff, people always say they're a unique talent. You have to have certain things that complement it, which I don't agree with. I think Keanu's really good at what he does, but it seemed like he didn't have much to work with here. And like this movie's so flat and emotionless to begin with that when at your helm is someone who can sometimes come across as flat and emotionless. Yeah. Does not help it. I, uh, Wild Hogs is just so bad. And knowing that I had to make it sound good, yeah. it, it, that's also... I mean, doesn't can confirm that. I really, I would like to apologize. Screwed the pooch on <laughs> the road trip being ending on a rotten movie. Because man, we, well, even comparatively speaking, even the rotten shit we've watched so far, I really fucked up by having wild hogs and the summer road trip. <laughs> I mean, we could have ended on the guilt trip. We could have ended Crossroads. on crossroads, but it was you were tricked by the Travolta factor. It's true. When the movie ended, uh, Julio informed me that Crossroads uh, is also 14% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I expressed that uh, I would much rather watch Crossroads again than Wild Hogs, and he said 100%. Usually, you can find like a hook on it, and the, the truth is, there is a good hook on Wild Hogs, which is the whole thing about masculinity and people trying to regain their masculinity, but the movie botches it so badly that it's really hard to even pretend that it did a good job. Uh, and even um, 
Marissa Tomei and all her effort can't really do anything to. No, I mean she's just yeah set dressing. Uh, and then finally, I watching the movie, and even though I knew about it, once we got to the rape scene in Saturday Night Fever, I was like, this is a minefield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's rough. And it's one of those that it somehow gets worse upon every rewatch, or it's one. I should say it doesn't get worse. It, you you never quite remember how uncomfortable and how intense it is. I told you the story about me going to see the classic screening of this, and becoming very alarmed quickly at how many people were bringing their children into the movie, and I'm talking children. Right, these like, are people that watched the PG version when they were kids or yes, they were young. Like yeah. there were kids as young as like twelve, ten in there. Uh, maybe even younger, but the parents just remembered the dancing and the music and like the he hit my hair because that's what the PG versions all like placated on. And I was sitting in a row with the family with like three children. The end with Annette in the car. I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake, and take I'm, them out of the movie. The parents like looking at one another like, when did this happen? Right, because again, you've told me about this. You had told me about it. So many times we talked about how the different cuts and mm-hmm. how much worse it is and, and the original, all that stuff. And even knowing exactly what was going to happen, I, it was just, you know, you would say, like, I, I should have had time to prepare how we're going to spin it on the show. And I, I remember just being at a loss. Yeah, I feel that. It's a great movie. That that scene does a lot to drive home, like, the, the final point. But, yeah, that doesn't mean it's fun to watch or talk about. Uh, and then lastly, kind of looking to the future, up until this point, what movies can you not believe we haven't done? So I made my little list and they realized that we kind of have plans for most of these movies <laughs> already, mm-hmm. kind of like in the near future schedule. But it's mostly movies that we brought up so many times, right? So we talk about Watchmen all the yep. time. <laughs> we talk about Garden State all the time. We talk about Prometheus all the time. And I talk about the rocker and Eurotrip all the time. <laughs> uh, the one that doesn't come up very often, but I remember kind of having in my head that we were going to do it. And it, now it's like almost 100 episodes and we haven't done it. This reality bites mm-hmm. because it has to be uh, a gray area, which means that, you know, it's limited when we can put it. Yeah. And I remember I brought it up when we did uh, Empire Records yes. back in episode eight. But it's not a movie I have a connection with, uh, you know, the way you do. But it made me think that uh, there's another 90s movie that I have that connection with, which is Reality Bites. And it's kind of like the same thing. It's not – it's far from a perfect movie, but it's one of those movies where, like, the the performances just, you know, and the the moments, like, just carry you over all the way to the end. So I can understand why you're so forgiving. (laughs) And we're now in episode 94, 95, (laughs) and we still haven't done it. I mean, I'm sure year six is a pretty, you know, I'd be yeah, surprised if it doesn't get done then. But. Watchmen, Zack Snyder in general, Watchmen and uh, Dawn of Justice, with how much we've talked about them, I'm surprised they haven't come into the fracas. Yeah. I mean, Dawn of Justice, to be fair, we did talk about it. Yeah. You know? And it's also, well, I was about to say it's three hours long, but so is Watchmen. So, um, <laughs> Zack Snyder. Yeah. Prometheus, I think, I don't know if we talked about potentially one day doing like a commentary track. Yeah, you've that. brought it up, and I think that would be probably for the best. We know it so well that yeah. it's, it would be good. Excellent. So, yeah, we're pretty much in line with a lot of that. As far as movies that change for you, I guess Elizabethtown? Elizabethtown is one. Um, I mean, we did a lot to 
change my desire to ever really revisit a nightmare on Elm Street again. Um, <laughs> London. Now I feel bad. London is a big one that I remember just like jesting about it so heavily and then rewatching it and was like, okay, there are things about this that are very bad. There are also <laughs> things about this that are very good and a lot better than I remembered. Um, Natural Born Killers, I know that's going way back, yeah. but I remember going into it, remembering, thinking like, well, you know, it kind of sucks, but like Robert Downey Jr. is really good in it. And then rewatching <laughs> it, I was like, what the fuck, dude? I refuse to believe that this panned out exactly as Oliver Stone had anticipated because there's so many different types of performances in it. Like we were talking about, like Mickey and Mallory are supposed to be like cool and calm, and Harrelson and Lewis play him that way, but then everyone else with the exception of Tom Sizemore, who's just playing himself. Like, <laughs> Downey Jr. and Timely Jones are just so crazy over the top, and all the supporting characters are just so far over the top. It... But I think that they have to, because they're the heart of the movie. You know, they're like the people that we're following, so they need to be maybe a little toned down. But even then, I mean, they are... They it just are leads to so many too. tone issues, though. Like, I don't understand what the tone of the film is supposed to be. I know what its message is supposed to be, I don't know what the tone is. And then, on the positive side of things, it reinforced... How good Rocky is. That was our third one, and it's only like a half hour long. Yeah. Um, reinforced um, or built up even higher how much I love Saturday Night Fever, like getting to talk about it and verbalize it, how much I love that. Uh, same thing with Empire Records. Like, that's always going to be one of my favorites. And then, of course, most recently, the history making moment of me actually <laughs> declaring on air that uh, I was moving almost famous into my top five movies. It knocked out Forrest Gump, was that it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Almost famous. This, uh, I think you were all part of something very special. And that I think upon this rewatch, this finally, uh, officially entered my top five. I think of Forrest, all time. I think Forrest Gump was bumped out of my top five. Wow. Oh, God. It took, it took you watching it again. Yeah. I didn't even know it was happening as it happened. What scene, what scene were you thinking? Forrest. Forrest Gump. Yeah, when did this out. happen? Um, when they are at the restaurant and Noah Taylor goes to tell her to leave and both William and uh, Russell stand up uh-huh. and then they just kind of look at each other and it's all mixed in. Crow, man, no one can touch him in the music department. And that's my favorite Elton John song, Mona Lisa and Mad Hatters. So the way it all blends together is just like chef kiss so hard. <laughs> Man, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, well, Almost Famous is an incredible film, but <laughs> yeah, there, there's been a lot uh, of that. And also recapping uh, old Roberto Zambarelli's filmography like that, uh, and also just the act of growing up has made me realize that I don't really care for most of his stuff. <laughs> That's funny because I, I'm going to say that it made me like his filmography any more than I did, but recapping it the way we did at least it gave it some consistency that made me admire it a little more even when we were bullshitting about it it was well you can't deny that there's some themes and there's Mm -hmm. just something to it he's got an eye for some things i mean i do like devil's rejects and i appreciate what he tried to make with house of a thousand corpses that was just all him all the way I, I, i listened to him recently on joe rogan's podcast talk about making that and he basically just I didn't realize it was done for like three years before it got released and it was a passion project. And But like uh, Universal Studios just gave him a shit ton of money and then they saw it. They're like, yep, nope, we're not going to release this. Uh, but yeah, it did make me realize it, it, some of that stuff's not for me. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been a 
cool journey uh, of also growing up and like evolving film taste and things like that and wanting more and expecting more and you know obviously none of these filmmakers that we ever talk about owe me a goddamn thing but it's <laughs> it's fascinating for your taste to mature and curve and think about you know what it is that you really want from it so with that being said that's a reflection upon the past five years of podcasting moving along to a specific reflection over the past year oh so, uh your score by the way 23 points out of a possible 39 so that's better than i thought i was gonna do it, same here i mean <laughs> i i didn't mind nudging you along uh, in a couple of those questions but that made it more that's fun. good there's some really prolific shit from those i, I like it <laughs> um prophetic also Now, uh, moving along to the past 31 episodes of The Contrarians, the past year of our podcasting, we're going to hand out our awards. Now, if this is your first award show of ours you're you're listening to, uh, we're going to be handing out uh, four categories of awards. There's going to be the Embrys, the Rouseys, the Gad, and the Ruffalo. So starting with the Gad and the Ruffalo, these are singular awards. So these will go out to one selection. Um, The Ruffalo, named after... Mark Ruffalo in The Kids Are All Right uh, goes out to the best sex scene or most, 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 mem- memorable. most, most memorable. If you've seen The Kids Are All Right, you know. You oh, know. you know. <laughs> you know Mark Ruffalo more than most people. Uh, and then The Gad, this was uh, this was Julio's contribution to the award. So Julio explained The Gad to us. So especially in the early years, I, I would say the first couple of years, we brought Josh get up like a lot more now. We, we it was you, <laughs> or I would do it to pop you. Right. Uh, I I do think I'm I'm a Josh Gad fan. That doesn't mean I'm a, I'm a fan of Josh Gad movies, but I think he's more talented than people give him credit for. And uh, I mean, unsurprisingly, I'm a big Book of Mormon fan. But all this to say, the Gad, it just kind of like the, it would be the poster child movie for our podcast right in in the positive way which is a movie that's rotten according to rotten tomatoes and that we watched it and we actually believed in real talk that it's good previous years examples would be like here comes the boom and things like that uh, yeah bewitched. bewitched i think bewitched was bewitched, last year's yeah i think it won for both of us <laughs> yeah it was like it was rotten but to us it was great yeah so that kind of thing you know just if you believe the internet josh gad is rotten but then when you experience it yourself Josh Gad is fresh. There you go. So that's that's the idea behind the Gad. It's our mission statement. And then the Embrys and the Rouseys, I guess the uh, mainstream examples to compare those two would be the Academy Awards and the Golden Raspberries. The the Rouseys being the uh, equivalent of the Golden Raspberries we hand out to uh, bad movies, bad performances. The reason behind that name, uh, it is named after Miss Ronda Rousey in the Entourage movie. Uh, so something that despite being in an already really bad movie stands out significantly individually as being really, really bad. And, um, jokes on me because I did a complete 180 on Ronda Rousey because she turned out to be such an incredible pro wrestler. I, I was, I was going to propose that next year because basically the Rouseys used to be the Cannies the first two years. Yes. Cause we didn't have awards the first year. Then the next two years we had the Cannies after Scott Kahn's, lazy disinterested performances. whatever the uh, <laughs> antithesis of a tour de force is <laughs> right and uh, ready to rumble uh, i will never get tired of saying that it looks like he's checking his text messages while the camera is rolling <laughs> um so but then we watched the entourage movie and alex was so appalled by ronda rousey's performance there that she's playing herself and, and is still, still that bad <laughs> so so then we changed it to the rousey's mm-hmm. and now maybe the winner of the rousey 
this year might become like, you know, so every two years we can change it up so that people are not saddled with, with this curse forever. We can consult the the rule books afterwards. Let's let's just get through this. Let's and then, get through this first. And then the uh, our Oscars, the Embrys, named after, of course, Mr. Ethan Embry in Empire Records. Uh, these are given out on the merit of uh, no matter the circumstances surrounding it, the the effort is given so much so and puts such a strong foot forward that it almost makes the entire movie experience worth it. This is the person that walked away from that car crash yes. unharmed. Uh, so with that in mind, um, I, I know I compared it to the Oscars, but we may be bringing up actors, actresses, or movies that aren't... Uh, specifically actors and actresses in movies that aren't necessarily these great achievements, but they walked away a better version of themselves. They made a good impression. They rewarded the audience. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, if you've seen Empire Records, you can tell that Ethan Embry as Mark in that movie, he's just going for it. Yeah. And uh, whether you like the movie or not, you cannot deny that he is just, you know, the opposite of Scott Kahn. (laughs) And uh, ready to rumble. He's he's bringing it every second. So in a compliment to the past 31 movies we've covered, I actually uh, had a hard time narrowing down my Embrys and had a harder time actually selecting my Rouseys because I we didn't really do too much with the uh, a couple of glaring exceptions over the past year that were really 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 bad. I I agree with you, especially on the on the Rousey side. Um, I think this is probably a good time for us to do a quick recap of the movies that are nominated or eligible mm-hmm. for Rousey's and uh, Embry's and for the Ruffle and the Gad. Starting with episode 72, The Boy Next Door. Then The Fly, 1986 version. Johnny Mnemonic. Fred Claus. Speed. Jilly. Cam. Shakespeare in Love. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, The King's Speech, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, 2013 version, Hudson Hawk, Birdman, Green Book, The African Queen, London, Basic Instinct 2, Annie, 2014 version, Aladdin, 1992 version, The Guild Trip, Little Miss Sunshine, Crossroads, 2002 version, because I guess there wasn't. Thank you. There was an 86 <laughs> version, yeah. Uh, Almost Famous, Wild Hogs, Passengers, Never Being Kissed, A Nightmare on Elm Street 1984 version, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2010 version, Secret Life of Walter Mitty 1947 version, The Intouchables, and The Upside. It's a murderer's row right there. I think that's this is the most eligible movies we've had. <laughs> since we started doing this. So we'll start with the Rouseys. My plan was we'll do the Rouseys, then the singular awards, and then move on to the Embrys. All right. Okay. 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 So you want to you wanna get all the negativity out of the way. Correct. Okay. So I'll go ahead and start off with the Rousey for Worst Supporting Actress. Uh, or I guess I'll just say the supporting actress that wins the Rousey. I hate to put <laughs> worst in there anywhere. Uh, this was pretty straightforward for me, and that's Kim Cattrall in Crossroads. <laughs> First, a surprise message from Britney's on-screen mom from her new movie, Crossroads. It's Sex and the City's Kim Cattrall. Hi, Oprah. Hi, Britney. It's Kim Cattrall. Playing your mom in the movie was one of the 
hardest experiences that I've had as an actress because you are so sweet and so wonderful. And it was the toughest thing in the world for me to be mean to you. You are a diva, a young, beautiful diva. And I wish the best for you in life as well as in the career that you have chosen and hopefully the one that you will continue to express yourself in, which is acting. My love to you both. cross my mind she is it didn't in, even cross road my mind she i believe gets the and credit and she has like what's supposed to be the most powerful scene in it and i think i commented in the episode it was crusty the clown showing up to record his lines for his doll just <laughs> i'm not your mom we need to talk these are my kids goodbye <laughs> after all the Terrible. build up yeah. there's like 60 minutes of build up to the reveal of kim cattrall as britney spears's mom and then she kind of undersells it yeah. with a passion or with lack of passion, I guess. Uh, for a movie that's not good, it stands out. <laughs> so for supporting actress Rousey, you know, I have my two runner ups and the, I mean, the clear winner to me, Alex, I don't know what you were thinking, but so I have Linda Cardellini and Green Book as a runner up. Okay. And that's mostly, it's not her fault. She's so underused. But it's kind of, you know. I mean, the movie doesn't give her anything to do, but it's not like she's fighting to have anything to do in that movie. Mm -hmm. I wish I could have seen her just argue more. And it's like, this is an Oscar winning movie. It will be. I want more to do. Uh, Johnny Mnemonic gave us a pretty underwhelming performance by Dinah Meyer, mm -hmm. which I honestly, I'm not going to lie. This was the hardest one to, to pull candidates for. And I had to dig deep. And on the third run through from all the candidates, I was like, oh, that's right. There was a female uh, performer in Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty forgettable. I mean, you could have stood out in that movie mm -hmm. if, you know, you had something there. But those things, you know, Cardellini, Meyer, all that is just like minor missteps. Ronnie Blackley in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. That's the drunk mom. Okay. Who... Never seen her in any other movies. Wouldn't surprise me if this was her only movie. It just doesn't do it. I've complained at length about the acting in the original Nightmare on Elm Street movie. You you fought pretty hard to defend those actors, but I think even you would have a hard time defending that performance. Yeah, it's kind of it's a climatic moment in the movie. She gets her big speech giving uh, Freddy's backstory, and it's just clunky. They put him away. Oh, the lawyers got fat and the judge got famous, but somebody forgot to sign the search warrant in the right place and Kruger was free just like that. What did you do, Mother? A bunch of us parents tracked him down after they let him out. We found him in an old abandoned boiler room where he used to take his kids. Go on. We took gasoline. You and I don't understand why uh, Craven didn't just cut it out because it's not like it pays off in any way in the rest of the movie. Just sitting down by the radiator. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. She's like reading cue cards <laughs> out of order, just like Christopher Walken hosting host SNL, just like <laughs> typewriter eyes reading in the background. All right, so the Rousey for supporting actor. Uh, I had one honorable mention, and that's going from 
one character in the original Nightmare on Elm Street to another, and that was Nick Corey, who played Rod. And, uh, despite his character being written to be a total fucking dumbass, this guy didn't really do... I, I guess he was convincing in that fashion because he didn't do too much to uh, elevate that. Um, I thought it was pretty cut and dry. Justin Bartha and Jilly win, <laughs> wins the Rousey. Big butts, and I cannot lie. The other brothers can't deny. When the girls walk in with the AB waist and round things in your face, you get sprung. Well, pull up tough, because you notice that butt was stuffed. Because I'm long, and I'm strong, and I'm down to get the friction on. So, ladies, yeah, ladies, yeah, you want to roll my Mercedes? Yeah. So, turn around, stick out. Even white boys got to shout. Baby got back. We go, we go, we go, we go. I actually just for for subversive reasons I almost had him in the mix for for the Embry because wow. he, he's trying but even I couldn't really justify that <laughs> Thank I mean you. it's no um, but I have worse people here from one nightmare to the other I think Jackie Earl Haley as you might remember <laughs> was the one thing that we agreed on didn't work in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake uh, so, we're calling him a supporting actor? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What's his name that's riding around with Rooney Mara? That's like more of a lead, I think, than, Fair than enough. Jackie Earl Haley. To me, I mean, if you have him with your with your okay. leading, man, that's 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 fine. But to me, Freddy is kind of, even with the added uh, screen time and added backstory, he's just, uh, yeah. Here uh, I come. <laughs> so yeah, Rorschach is. is I, res- is a I respect up. that pick. Second, and he almost won it, but uh, John McKinley in Wild Hogs. I love John McKinley. Fuck that performance. Yeah. Fuck that character. It's embarrassing. And you know what else is embarrassing? That uh, he liked a couple of tweets that referenced our episode <laughs> on Twitter. God bless him. And, yeah, I know. Or whoever I mean, runs his Twitter. I was account. gonna say it's not him. It's like the McKinley bot or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it just hashtag McKinley gets you a, a a like and a retweet, and then a lot of hate mail once people <laughs> listen to the episode. But no, to me, like somebody who just who was like a total dud is Michael Varton in Never Been Kissed. You know what? I sh- shouldn't be talking about this stuff with you. I'm sorry. It's nice to have someone to talk to. <laughs> yeah, same here. Well, all I can tell you is that when you're my age, guys will be lined up around the block for you. You have to say that because you're my teacher. <laughs> Actually, I shouldn't say that because I'm your teacher. Most boring pedophile in the history of uh, romantic comedies. Yeah, that movie. Uh, I forgot how brutal it was. I should have brought that up in the, the questions. Yeah, I, I can't really remember too much from it, just other than like the actual stories. Like, fuck, this is rough. Yeah, he's just completely. If not for the fact that the movie accidentally turned him into somebody who's sexually attracted to an underage girl or somebody who thinks underage he'd be completely forgettable and even so with that you know he just plays it in such a forgettable way that <laughs> like yeah you get the rousey uh for actress i could not pick between the two so uh, we're just gonna have to cut it in <laughs> half and that's gonna go to miss jennifer lopez for geely <laughs> And Miss Sharon Stone for Basic Instinct 2. Oh, wow. Dude, I, you know, I couldn't. 
I tried. Okay, so Hula and I also talked about uh, in preparation for this. I didn't want to be mean to Britney. So Britney, right. I didn't want to. That was not her. She did the best you could expect Britney Spears right. to do. If nothing else, you could argue for an Embry, except that no. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Then Jennifer Lopez, Geely seems like the too easy to go to, but it's just because it, it deserves there's a reason the stereotype exists. I think that the movie deserves it, it you know, but but she is kind of, you know, between her and Affleck, I think that she is in and Bartha. <laughs> out of the three, out of that trio, she's the one that comes out with the most dignity, maybe. Where are you going? It's turkey time. Huh? She says gobble gobble. Yeah, but you know, she had to she was surrounded. They had her out- Regardless, outgunned. Sharon Stone leaves with no dignity and in basic instinct too. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to be nice. Again, like the like the Britney thing. I feel bad because she was just she did what she could with that role. You know, she's trying. When you think about fucking me, and I know you do, how do you picture it? Oh, I know you can't answer me, so just think it. Do you want it straight up? You on top? Me on top? Do you want it from behind? On your knees, my face in the pillow. It's just that she shouldn't be trying. She should be running away from that movie. Uh, She's facing the wrong direction, and that's towards it, not away. I when I scratched Britney Spears from my list, I had to pencil in something that I didn't want to do because I didn't want to like prove you right. Mm-hmm. But I had to write Rooney Mara in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. <laughs> I like that movie a lot more than you do, oh, but yeah. it, and I think that the acting is so much better than the acting in the original. But still, Rooney Mara, you know, because she's Rooney Mara, it's not worse. But that doesn't mean that she's doing great. Yeah, especially after you've seen her in other things. So she, she gets a mention. As well as uh, and oh, Ryan and Bartek, Brian is gonna uh, hate us, hate me for this. But upon reflection, Virginia Mayo in the original Walter Mitty, mm. like she didn't do it for me, <laughs> and and they had the nerve to even say that she was better than uh, Kristen Wiig. Yeah, no, I I think she's she's a talented actress, but she was not particularly funny or you know had great chemistry with uh, Danny Kaye. Not her fault though. Mostly like, you know, just maybe some miscasting. On the other hand, the winner of my Rousey for lead actress, Heather Langkamp for the original Man, going all in. I don't see why you couldn't just give me a pill to keep me from dreaming. Everyone's got to dream, young lady. If you don't dream, you go. Okay, all set? No. Please, Nancy. Trust us. It's not you I don't trust, it's just... Okay. Let's do it. Warm it's... milk? Gross. <laughs> mother. Mother. Are you drinking again, mother? <laughs> it's just not... And you know what? I felt a little bad after we did the episode and I started looking uh, for pictures for the 
the thumbnail mm -hmm. because I looked at I came up with some posters for or, or promotional stills for from back in the day from the eighties and you know it's just her with with Freddie and she looks really playful like yeah. she's really going for it so it's like. It's not like she wasn't trying, but still, it's just really bad. She was it, new to the game. Yeah. And that's that's not the type of movie you flex your acting chops on. So, <laughs> uh, Moving along to actor. So a bit of a discrepancy here. I had Jackie Earl Haley. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have guessed. A, as my honorable mention. And then uh, the Rousey for lead actor goes to Chris Evans in London. <laughs> so wait, I'm confused. You say you do believe in God or you don't? Come on, up the appropriate word for it, actually. It's more of an epiphany, if anything. Epiphany? What was your epiphany? Well, for me, an epiphany is when you really see the universe in all its splendor and beauty. And you suddenly understand everything. But what do you mean by everything? What does that mean? Fucking everything! Everything you can fucking imagine! Everything! What, you don't know what everything means? Well, yes, I know what everything means. I just don't know what you mean by everything. It means everything, doesn't it? You know, everything. So what's your problem? Well, I think for someone who's seen the infinite, you're a little fucking vague. You think with someone who's had a godlike revelation, you'd be a little more specific. I was going through the movies and I can, oh God, it's like burned into my brain that him with the cigarette and that shitty ass wig on. No, fuck you. You're going to tell me what I want to know. Oh, it's And I love Chris Evans. And Chris Evans did great things before that. I think he's hilarious and not another teen movie. He's a great Captain America. Yeah. And he's a really good comedic actor too. Uh, it's just... London will come back up, <laughs> but he, he was not the victor from that project. No, no. Uh, he, he's come a long way. Yes. Well, for me, I, this shouldn't surprise anybody who listened to the almost famous episode, but I have Patrick Fugit as a runner up, ah. not quite his fault, but I mean, he's just, he sticks out. And uh, that's it's mostly on Cameron Crowe for just putting too much on him, I think. Um, and then it's impossible not to mention John Travolta and Wild Hogs. <laughs> what the fuck was he doing? We devoted oh, God, an entire so summer to John Travolta last year. And then and, he comes and does this like that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I used to feel bad that we chose that movie because I felt that we were doing him. Uh, wrong but really no it's the other way around he yeah. tricked us into picking that movie because you know we love him so much um, but in the end the recipient of this year's lead actor Rousey on my end David Morrissey for Basic Instinct 2 there you go I believe Mr. Mel's behavior is driven by what we might call a risk addiction a compulsive need to prove to herself that she can take risks and survive dangers that other people can't especially the subsequent encounters with the police or the powers that be why would a person do that? Well, the greater the risk, the greater the proof of her omnipotence. Her existence, really. When you say she has a risk addiction, is this condition likely to get worse? All addiction is progressive. The addict will always need to take greater and greater risk. He, to me, he is a real fuck-up in that movie. Yeah. Because Sharon Stone... At least, I guess she realized when she signed the contract. Well, you know, she she she's got to go with it, no matter how ridiculous it is. But David Morris, he looks like he's half asleep most of the time, even when Sharon Stone is seducing him. When she's on top of him, is she on top of him, choking him, or is she no, under he, him? They're missionary, and then she just whips that belt out and wraps it around <laughs> right, his neck. Yeah. yeah, and you couldn't tell that he's being choked. His, no. his facial expression remains the same. So yeah, Morris, he gets the the Rousey. Moving along to the Rousey for uh, for film, 
The uh, my honorable mentions, Geely. It's just so bad. There's no way not to mention it. Uh, second honorable mention was Johnny Mnemonic. That movie's really bad. Uh, <laughs> Keanu almost got my actor for it, but I can't. That monologue. Yep, I can't. I want the little square club sandwich. I want the press shirts. <laughs> I want the fancy hooker. Uh, so. That being said, with those two movies, like I mentioned, the monologue, also Johnny Mnemonic has Dolph Lundgren. Uh, Geely is so bad to the point where, like, there's some enjoyment to it. Wild Hogs takes home the Rousey (laughs) for a feature film because it's one of the rare movies we've done where it gets to the point where there's nothing we can do to really enjoy it. We just kind of have to take notes and wait to talk about it. Thanks, Woody. I feel really safe with you. I noticed that. And if you ever lay your head on my back again when you're riding, bitch, I'll throw you in the traffic. I I was just trying to keep the wind off my face. I felt you smell my neck. Guys, could we? Did you smell that man's neck? His cologne is fantastic. It's musky with an oaky finish. Like a lawyer cowboy. Lawyer cowboy? Uh, it's some of my honorable mentions. Okay. I just, at least, we, I think we got some mileage out of uh, Marissa Tomei. Yes. And her in that 2006 the, the uh, Southwestern, country hot, yeah. Southwestern chic. Uh, I put that quote from you on uh, on our Instagram, and I was laughing so hard. Because, <laughs> you know, we're talking about Willie H. Macy trying her, uh, her salsa or chili. And I'm like, you do the same. You're like, I would, it could be like broken glass in there, and I would try it. <laughs> Um, you know, Jilly is not even my mentions because it's a terrible movie, but if nothing else, I guess I would give it that it's trying. Everything it tries goes wrong, <laughs> but but it's definitely trying, in my humble opinion, more than uh, Wild Hogs, more than my other runner-up, which is uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Jesus. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Clean in house. <laughs> but, but it doesn't get the Rousey. The Rousey goes to... Basic Instinct 2. Okay. Because fuck that movie. That's oh, a so fucking cash-in. It's a late cash-in, which is like the worst kind of cash-in. Why are you even bothering so many years later? And you're sullying the reputation of a pretty good movie. You know? And not just that. You put Sharon Stone through that. And then for a Mike Douglas replacement, you put David Morrissey, which you might have heard Wanda Rousey for lead actor. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No. Fuck Basic Instinct 2. Maybe I'm acting out your unconscious impulses. Stop it! Do you think it's possible that you want me to be the killer? You know, how some guys are into blondes and some guys are into killers. Isn't that what turns you on? Maybe instead of uh, the Rouseys next year, we can call them the Basic Instinct 2s. <laughs> we'll have to figure out a way to shorten that. The BI2s. The BI2s. <laughs> All right. Moving along to the meat and potatoes here. We'll uh, move along to the Ruffalo for uh, most memorable sex scene. Uh, going through what we had, I really uh, could not <laughs> not pick the boy next door. <laughs> That was that was my my thought process was the same. Was like, how can you nothing compares? Because I remember part of the research and like was that was really Jennifer Lopez and it's like she's so fucking hot. It's ridiculous. That's really she's 
you know, the dude, what is it? Ryan, whatever. Who cares? That, that, but that guy got to be in that scene. Yeah. He, he may not make another movie uh, anywhere near as, as notorious as that one, but that's fine because he can just show his grandkids. <laughs> that's me. Getting down with J-Lo up <laughs> there. Those are my hands. So sexy. Noah. Kiss me, Claire. Just. I can't. Just once. I, uh, I have to go. It's night. In the window. You are watching me. I can't do this. No. I will watch you now. This can't happen. Okay. It's wrong. It doesn't feel wrong. I think we're in agreement. Okay. It, it gets the ruffalo. I, I gave it to it too. I wanted to make a special mention though uh, of the off-screen, I am 100% uh, sure, uh, furious sex life between Greg Kinnear and Tony Collette in Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> if we had seen even two seconds of that. That's right. Uh, that was your theory postulated, the reason they stuck together so long. Right. It's because yeah. the sex is awesome. Yeah. But The Boy Next Door, uh, an unprecedented double ruffalo. <laughs> Uh, the gad now for the you know the poster child for our podcast a movie that's rotten that I think or we however you want to read it has legitimate merit and at twenty percent uh, the rewatch we did for it close to a year ago really raised my opinion of it and where I think it should be held in its genre and that is Fred Claus. My name is uh, Fred Claus. Hi, hi, hi Fred. I'm uh, uh, I'm Santa Claus's brother, and I got a lot of stuff going on uh, because of it. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of um, a lot of juice in the tank over it. And is this um, a joke to you, uh, Stephen? By the way. Nice Hi, Stephen. Hey guys, what's up? I mean, because this isn't funny to all of us here in the group. This is very serious to us. And I'm feeling very uncomfortable with where you're coming from. Stephen, maybe to him, his brother is Santa Claus. I feel like my brother's Santa Claus. Yeah, but, but I feel like my brother's Santa Claus because my brother really is Santa Claus. All right, that's enough, all right? You and I got a problem. Oh, all right, Stephen, easy, easy, all right. I thought about it. Yeah, I, I, Fred Claus is... Uh, Coming into it, I know I built it up a lot, and I know our first few years <laughs> in the podcast, I always talked about how good it was, and it was even better than I remembered. Obviously, it's a little bit tainted by one of the actors that's in it, but that being said, it why it it wasn't as welcomed as like Elf or movies like that, I don't really understand, and I think it gets a really unfair reputation as being bad when it's actually, one, got a, a delicious plot, uh, two has a cast in it that's just down for it. Yep. Just, let, let's go for it. And three, it encapsulates all those really good, warm, fuzzy feelings at Christmas. I it's think, a good Christmas movie yeah. on top of everything. Yeah. So that would be uh, my gad. I, I um, really didn't have any runner-ups. I didn't find too much on there else that I would really make a, a strong case for, but that's definitely one I would stand by. Um, I should have looked up the Rotten Tomatoes percentages because I didn't think to do that Um not that I would have gone with the lowest yeah. out of the ones I was considering, but still, you know, it kind of helps you put it in perspective, definitely. Because, fuck, Fred Claus, 20%, that sounds like a major injustice. Yeah. Um, that said, I mean, I toyed with the idea of uh, giving it to the upside 
because this rewatch, I really liked it even more than when I watched it in, in theaters. Um, and and I think that it's one of those movies that, unfortunately, when people look it up, they're going to see that it's rotten. They're not even going to give it a chance. Mm-hmm. And in that case, it's not even that, oh, well, you're not going to give it a chance because you watched The Untouchables and you know it's it's not going to compare. Yeah. You're just assuming that it's bad. Yeah. Um, but no, in the end, if I got to be true to my heart, and you probably know this is coming, Alex, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, <laughs> oh. it's not. it does not deserve its reputation. It's not a great movie. But that's not what the gat is about. The gat is about <laughs> the, is it better than what we thought? Does it does it uh, subvert the expectation created by a rotten score? Fifteen percent. Fifteen percent rotten tomatoes. Fuck that. Especially when you consider the original is at ninety four percent. Double fag that. Double <laughs> ruffalo that. There was a man at the preschool. His name was Fred Krueger. He was a gardener. He lived in the basement of the preschool. And you kids were his life. We didn't want to believe it at first. You all were so innocent. And you, Nancy. What are you drawing? That is so good. You were his favorite of all. You know what? I got some other drawings. It does so many things well. It's, like I said, far from perfect. I, I gave, you know, I had Jackie O'Haley nominated for <laughs> Rousey for supporting actor. I mean, uh, but in the end, it was so many steps forward from the original that I, I feel the need that needs to be recognized. Josh Gad isn't perfect either. Let's move on from this and never speak of it again. <laughs> All right. Down to what everyone's been waiting for. The Embry's here. So the good we'll, stuff. We'll start off with supporting actor. Uh, my honorable mentions for uh, supporting actor Embry's uh, went to... Uh, this is kind of a tricky one because it's obviously not full-on acting, but I, had, I said Robin Williams in Aladdin. No. He's so memorable. And then uh, Jason Statham in London. Um. He, he is in my list. In <laughs> fact, let's go ahead and spoil it. He is my winner. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, but I'll, I'll expand on that once once we move to mine. Okay. Um, so I've got Statham and Robin Williams and honorable mentions for uh, my Embry for uh, supporting actor. Uh, I just was speaking about this literal moments ago. Uh, Paul Giamatti as Santa Claus in Fred <laughs> Claus. Uh God bless Paul Giamatti. <laughs> I mean, he's just a fantastic actor, but in this, it's so silly to talk about, but his range that he exhibits as Santa Claus from his bitter jealousy towards his brother to his actually acting like Santa Claus right. to uh, when he's bedridden on Christmas night and he's fighting back tears. It's, oh God. He gets then, close to a Pacino. Don't, yes, don't. And then to all pay it off with the moment of realization when he realizes who Kevin Spacey is and then gives him the I'm getting chills just thinking about it. <laughs> he gives him his Superman cape, you know, 40, 50 years too late. And uh, he asks him to put it on. And he's like, I'm a 47 year old man. I'm not, And he goes, come on from me. <laughs> What's wrong with me? 
Not to give you that gift, Klein. I fear that I had a very incorrect, misguided understanding of naughty children. So it's uh, maybe a little late. I'm a 45-year-old man. I'm not going to put on a silly... Come For me. <sighs> okay. Man, a boy. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. Glasses off. Uh, yeah, he's great. Uh, he's not on my list. <laughs> I love Fred Claus. I, I, I really. We did, we did a lot of good movies. Yeah, yeah, These yeah. were a lot harder than the Rouseys in terms of narrowing everything down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to me, uh, like I said, Statham is my winner. My runner-ups are uh, Dolph Lundgren and Johnny Mnemonic, which again we agree on the quality of the movie, but he stands out because, like Ethan Embry, he's just like giving it his all. Yep. Uh, that's his second contrarian's appearance, and both times he's kind of made excellent impressions because we we had him as the Punisher, yep. and he was also great there. Underrated uh, movie, I think yeah. that was our general consensus on that. Yeah, so. yeah, but here, I mean, he's just if, if nothing else, the movie could have used more Dolph Lundgren. Yes, less of all the other contrived stuff, and just more straightforward John Demotic versus Dolph Lundgren as a crazy preacher. Then how could I not mention my boy Bobby Cannavale in Annie? Nice. Uh, we're mixed on on Annie, but I think that he was pretty good. Gets a good musical number. Gets a couple of funny, more than a couple of funny moments. Kind of makes up for for uh, how blah Jamie Foxx was. But the winner, Jason Statham. I mean, I was not expecting it. I expected Jason Statham to be the punchline in London. I did not expect him to be my favorite part of London. Yeah. And that is not in an ironic way. In as in, I thought that he was really good. In everything he did, he gets the best lines, he gets the best moments, and he doesn't embarrass himself the way that Chris Evans does. You want to know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. You remember sentences that people say to you, you know, sentences that stick in your mind like gunshot wounds that never fucking heal. I remember my ex-wife said to me, this is when we first started dating, she said, you know, I love it when a guy fucks me four, five times a night. Four, five times a night? Yeah. Come on. I was like... Was with some guy who fucked you four or five times a night. You want to know what pain is? What? I'll tell you what pain is, you fuck. Why are you calling me a fuck? Because, my friend, you fuck, you brought me here and I didn't particularly want to go here, but now I am. So if you don't want to go where I'm about to go, then you better tell me right now and I'll walk out the fucking door, I'll phone my therapist and that will be it, okay? End of story. He also, the thing we talked about on that and that my takeaway from it this go around, He's legitimately funny. Right. Like without it with no trace of irony or like, oh, this is so bad that it's funny. And look, like we've talked about him a couple of times now, completely forgot about the hair. Yeah. Because that's ridiculous. And yeah. yet his performance transcends it overcomes the, the, the hair piece. The whole scene of him explaining like that sex warehouse he goes to, and then there's that thing of him smoking a cigarette out in the balcony, and Chris Evans goes back inside, and it's just Jason Statham outside, and it's silent for like five seconds, and then he just goes sweating like a fucking rapist. <laughs> uh, uh, he's really good. If you haven't watched London, I understand why, but 
it's worth like hunting down at least for the Jason Statham scene so you can get some sort of idea of and you get even like the filmmaker I don't remember who the fuck made it but they knew they still had to get some action in there because Statham gets that fight scene where he gets (laughs) pulled away from the party yeah yeah Yeah. and then there's the melancholy of it all because it was it would never happen again no then uh, that was his last hurrah (laughs) and then he started drama and after that it's like nope actions and thrillers and one and only yeah tremendous good alignment there all right so moving on to the embrys for supporting actress only have one honorable mention and you know we talked about what the embry means but sometimes performances are so good they can't really be ignored and uh francis mcdormand and almost famous i think definitely deserves mention just go back it's a few episodes ago listen to us gush over her in that movie she really is um man I would say underrated, but she, you know, she's been nominated for so many Oscars and that type of thing. But I think that she is. If you don't know what you're getting into, I think it's uh, it kind of surprises you a little more because I remember Kinsey. I mean, she never directly said it, but she sounded like she was more in awe of Frances McDormand than anybody else in the cast. Yeah, which was cool because, of course, you know, I think because she, she's the Frances McDormand is is the one swimming upstream, like she's the character, <laughs> right? That, yeah. And it would have been so easy for her to become a caricature yeah. but instead she becomes a very humane character you know showing uh compassion to <laughs> to billy crudup yeah and the biggest compliment you can give an actor in a movie is you believe them and you, right. you believe her in that uh but my embry for supporting actress is going to go to miss rose Byrne and annie uh yeah. i thought that out of everyone in that movie and that's one i'm kind of surprised it may come back up i don't know it was one of those we watched and was like, okay, this isn't great, but it's not as bad as people acted like it was. Right. And she, in that, to me, was clearly the one that had the most fun making it and really was just like, fuck it, I'm down for whatever. You want me to dance? You want me to sing? I'll do that. I'll... It's a delight when she has her musical number. Yeah. She's she's great. She's someone that I think is way, way, way more versatile than she's used for. So it, it was really memorable. Like I was going down the list of the movies we did and like I stopped and Annie was like, Rose Byrne was in that and she was fucking great. Doesn't mean the movie needed to be over two hours long, but <laughs> But if you were gonna cut something, don't cut the Rose Byrne scene. There you go. Yeah. Cut the fucking helicopter number from uh, Jamie Foxx talking about cell phones, singing oh, yeah. about cell phones. Yeah. Fuck. Supporting actress for me, I mean, the almost famous, uh, I, I wasn't going to bring up Frances McDormand, I was going to bring up Kate Hudson, because I wasn't going to give the award to her, but it has to be mentioned. Uh, yeah. We gushed also about Kate Hudson, then discussed the just the, the puzzle that is her career mm-hmm. post Almost Famous. So you can listen to the Almost Famous episode and get just a whole load of that, but still worth mentioning just because, you know, you, you want to talk about somebody who comes in and just makes the most out of what she's been given. You know, and of course, in this case, it's in a good movie. Uh, along the same lines, but with much less prominence, Jessica Alba, Never Been Kissed. Nice. 
scene stealer. She was one of the last ones I cut. I was like, eh, no, we'll give this to Francis McDormand. Um, when I was looking up uh, pictures to put on, on Instagram, the, I kept running into the gif of her doing the little disco move when she's saying, I'm Disco Barbie. And yeah. she does. she's just so funny. And she, I don't even know if she gets a name in that movie but you know she's throughout and because it's jessica alba you notice her so it's, it's very great. energetic and like very contagious yeah yeah but the embry goes to Kristen wig she's just playing against type she's not being wacky or mm-hmm. anything but she's still funny she has great chemistry with ben stiller she gets that amazing musical number yep. where she plays a or sings the david bowie song hi hello everyone <laughs> Hi. Uh, hello, Nuke. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little nervous. Okay. This one goes out to Walter Mitty. He knows why. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom Take your protein pills and put your helmet on And she managed to make such an impact with very little screen time. Yes. Uh, so it, to me, she really made the most out of everything in that movie. She brings all the energy that you're used to her in a comedic fashion, but it's just kind of harnessed into a more serious role i know like a lot of people refer to her as like toned down but that's not it to me she's still just as mm-hmm. powerful as she is in those really over-the-top comedic performances but it's just the energy is focused in a different way yes yeah a lot more heartfelt i think yeah. if nothing else i think that's what makes it work with with ben stiller uh because she's being so she comes across so, as so sincere that it just it just helps you know that oh well we don't see her very often but when we see her she just makes an impression uh, I forgot to mention here also in my supporting actor, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and almost famous, of course. For a uh, supporting actress? Supporting actor. <laughs> I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I, I, before we moved on to the next blurb, I was just going to plug that there. Uh, Hoffman is almost, he should be just exonerated from the race because he's uh, he's just too good. Otherwise, he'd just walk away with a Perpetual every... award winner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, we'll just give him the lifetime embry. <laughs> there you go. So moving on to actor for the Embrys, I almost put Ben Stiller in honorable mention, uh, just obviously talking about the Walter Mitty and how much we care for it. But I wanted to make a point and only select one person for my actor Embry, just because I feel their performance was just towering over everything else. Now, keep in mind, this movie is not necessarily a bad movie. It was very well received, but the over whelming champion in the field of uh, male acting in this past year in the contrarians would be Greg Kinnear and little miss sunshine. <laughs> uh, he's, he's a runner up on mine. He, we, if you go back and listen to the episode myself in particular, went into little miss sunshine, remembering, liking it and then worrying that maybe it wasn't as good as I remembered. And no, it was even better. And a big part of that was Greg Kinnear who just like, is one going for it, but then two understands the movie he's in and three understands like who his character is. And it's just, it is the literal perfect storm of things that create a great performance. Frank, shut up. Richard. Olive, can I tell you a little something about ice cream? Well, ice cream is made from cream, which comes from cow's milk and cream has 
whole lot of fat in it. Richard. What? She's gonna find out anyway, remember? What? Find out what? Well, when you eat ice cream, the fat in the ice cream becomes fat in your body. Richard, I swear to God. It's true. What? What's wrong? Nothing. I mean, nothing's wrong. So, if you eat a lot of ice cream, you might become fat, and if you don't, you're gonna stay nice and skinny, sweetie. Yeah, no, Kinnear is great. Uh, even when he's just being uh, the worst father ever, I think that just because you understand what's going on through his head, he's not just he's not just a monster. He's just somebody that's driven in the worst possible way, mm-hmm. and and he's just against the wall. And yeah, he he changes through the movie. Yeah. So when he gets on that dance floor at the end, it's it's extremely satisfying, and, and he's really funny too. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Uh, it's a great cast. The scene with uh, Hank when they're looking at the porn behind the van. He's just <laughs> a little bit of this. <laughs> Something different. Uh, it's one of my favorite moments of the past year. So I have him as a runner-up. And uh, I have Omar Sy, the Intouchables. Hell yeah. I mean, I really don't know how well-known he was in France. Right? So I don't know if it worked out that he was... He really broke out with Untouchables, and it was as much a surprise in Europe as it was a surprise for us when we saw him here. But he definitely, I mean, talk about somebody who, if nothing else, okay, breakout role in America, mm-hmm. and maybe even breakout role in, in France, just steals the movie. But he's not the winner. Okay. And I'll be mad about this. Uh-oh. I, I literally I could have flipped a coin, because I can make the argument either way, but I ended up giving it to Kevin Hart oh, God. for the upside. And I'm not saying that his performance is better than Omar Sy's, but I'm just saying that the the switch from the Kevin Hart I expect and the Kevin Hart I got was so satisfying, so unexpected, and so uh, I think it enriches the movie in a way that, you know, even when the movie has its missteps, Kevin Hart still walks away clean. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just, he's going for things that he usually doesn't do. He's really committing in a way that, you know, Ethan Embry commits and, <laughs> and Empire Records, and even when it doesn't work, you still you you're still with him, you know. And at the end, you're like, "Fuck yeah!" Even if the upside failed in every possible way, it was Kevin Hart's movie where he did something new and and it worked, much like London for Jason Statham. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, moving down to the Embry for actress in a leading role. I don't know why I had her up here, but you had already mentioned it. Uh, she should be down there with Frances McDormand, Kate Hudson. Obviously, uh, as long as this podcast has existed, we've referenced <laughs> the anomaly of Kate Hudson and specifically her Oscar nomination in that movie, which is well-deserved because she's fucking fantastic in it. Um, so my runner-up is Jessica Biel in London um, <laughs> because in reflecting on everything, God, there's so much bad shit in that movie, but like... <laughs> So the big thing I had forgotten about revisiting London was the big reveal. It was like uh, Godzilla or like a, a, a movie where this thing is talked about and then revealed. Be- that thing being Jessica Biel. She's like... Right, because you... There's flashbacks, but she's not like in the present until close to the third act starts in the movie. When we see her with... Uh, fuck, what's that comedian? Dane Cook. Dane Cook. <laughs> uh, she's ushered into the present with Dane Cook. But... All her dialogue in that is extremely well delivered without trying to seem like acting. And then specifically the closing scene where Chris Evans is so fucking bad, but she's so good (laughs) that to me it merits. um, You're talking about at the airport. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
the way she handles it is so good. And it, it's basically, you know, what we're, we're stuck with now with CG. She might as well have just been trying to act to a tennis ball that will, <laughs> instead of a person that wasn't actually there. <laughs> so I felt that she deserved props because we always talk about, you know, give Jessica Biel more. She's better. I think in that episode we talked about. Oh, she's yeah. She's clearly yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Dan from Netflix and Swill replied saying, well, you guys should watch. And of course, I don't remember the name now, but it was it's like a show. Yeah, and like the, the A team, obviously, she's great. Yeah, Hans brought it up. It's yeah. a shame that we didn't think about yeah, it. Yeah, we didn't mention it on the spot. Yeah. But Jessica Biel, all the love in the world. Also, God bless. Um, the winner for the Embry for leading actress, however, goes to Miss Gina Davis for The Fly. Nice. Um, that was before Gina Davis was big, and she's very memorable in it. That movie is obviously the Jeff Goldblum show. Yeah. But her part in it and. When I was doing this, because I'm such a fucking mark, I was putting in my head like the scenes that play uh, of me remembering how good they are in it. Like, I guess the, you're their Oscar clip. And for me, it's her reaction to the insect politics. Speech, oh, yeah. Oh, where yeah. She's like crying and she's scared and she that her voice breaks and she's like, I don't understand what you're trying to tell me. I came to tell you. Um. <laughs> I, I just, I wanted to see you before. You have to leave now. And never come back here. Have you ever heard of insect politics neither have I insects don't have politics they're very brutal no compassion no compromise we can't trust the insect I'd like to become the first insect politician. You see, I'd like to, uh, but, oh, I'm afraid. Um, I don't know what you're trying to say. Fantastic. I, I gushed about her on that episode about how I wish she would have become like a Meryl Streep type actress, but uh, she's excellent in that. For a movie that is kind of, Eh, in some parts, she's fucking solid the entire way through. Well, I think especially when you consider that her character with that with a less strong actress could have kind of faded into the background. Yeah. Because she's she reacts a lot. Like you said, this is Jeff Goldblum show, and most of what she does is just be horrified by what's happening to him. Or you know, and there comes even a point in the movie where the main thing she does is just turn to the other guy in the movie for mm -hmm. him to take action. And even then she managed to be really engaging just, you know, with, with such little, I wouldn't say just such a little agency, but really the movie doesn't give her much, much action, like much to do and many places to go to. And she's still really great. It's that old, the poochie thing when she's not on camera, you, you want her to be, you right. like wonder what she's doing and you want her back. Yeah. So, and her react here at the end, the, the, the ending, you yeah. know, when she's just, she has a shotgun, just great. Um, well, to me, runner-ups, 
I have, of course, Barbara Streisand, The Guilt Trip. Okay. Just barely missed the cut for me. Yeah. Pleasant surprise. Though, in a way, you would be like, why were you surprised at Barbara Streisand? But then, like we mentioned in the episode, I haven't watched that many Barbara Streisand movies. Yeah. This is probably the first time that I've fully experienced her in a comedy, being just really funny and charismatic. Then uh, Marlene Brewer for Cam. Mm. Again, a movie that wouldn't work if you didn't have a really strong actress there. You know, even when the plot gets weird or when... The, the other acting might get like a little flaky, you know. She's just that movie's on her shoulders, yeah. And she she successfully makes it to the finish line. God, what a weird fucking movie. Yeah, love it. But to me, the lead actress Embry goes to uh, Convention A. Wallace for Annie. Nice, that's a really good one. That little girl is amazing, and she nails the singing. She nails just the charisma, the energy. She puts Jamie Fox to shame. <laughs> Every time they're in the scene together, she she does she meshes really well with uh, Cameron Diaz and Rose Byrne. Mm-hmm. But just overall, I mean, she's she's the lead, and and she does Annie proud. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. Just thinking about. Tomorrow, please away the cobwebs and the sorrow. Till there's none. When I'm stuck with a day that's gray and lonely, I just took on my chin and grin and say, Yeah, that's a that's a really solid pick. All right, moving to the main event, the fucking show, the Embry for best film that we have covered in our fifth year of podcasting. So my honorable mentions, obviously almost famous. Can't gush <laughs> enough about that. Uh, Speed is up there too. Loved that movie, but somehow I even had more fun rewatching it. Mainly because I didn't remember that Keanu and Sandra Bullock actually have really good chemistry in it. (laughs) Yes. It's fascinating. To me, the biggest takeaway from Speed was that Sandra Bullock was fucking amazing in it. Yeah. She just, you know, it it was just like fireworks. Mm -hmm. She just came in and it was just so charismatic and so uh, just watchable. And my third honorable mention was Aladdin. I know talked about watching that. that I think I might even said in the episode I'd put it up there with the best movies we've ever done. Fucking love it. Uh, but my Embry for movie of the year goes to the 2013 iteration of the secret life of Walter Mitty. Uh, I was wondering, I was like, it's not in the honorable mentions, but oh, cause it's the winner. Yeah. I feel we talk about this movie quite a bit and it's, it was a gray area, so I couldn't necessarily give it the gad, but even so I think I feel that strongly about it that I think, uh, I I just rewatched it again recently and it's will always be baffling to me how it didn't really connect more with more people. I think it's um, there's not really anything I can put my finger on. I think this was the struggle we talked about when we did the episode of like, there's nothing I can really pinpoint and say, this is why it didn't really click with people. Uh, maybe the time it came out, maybe. It um, I think something that helped me see the other side of it a little bit was when we did the, the original Walter Mitty episode with Ryan and Bartek and Ryan was pointing out things that obviously I don't agree with, but I'm like, okay, but obviously he's this way and other people would, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, it's 
it's Ben Stiller doing his shtick of midlife crisis, which he's done in other movies before. So I can see how people would be wouldn't even watch the movie because they're like, oh, it's just another Ben Stiller movie about yeah. him being conflicted about life. And then I love the movie, but even when he brought it up in that episode, I I couldn't even bring myself to defend the Benjamin Button fantasy sequence. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't care either because everything else is great. So yeah. it's just like, I'll just get through it. But but it could be the kind of thing that rubs people the wrong way. And they're like, ah, fuck this. It's just it's just more of that. Yeah, you know? I think it was the only logical conclusion, though, for me to give it to it after all that. Uh, all of, we've talked about it in the five years we've been doing this. It was refreshing to have uh, a conflicting point of view with the uh, spit and polish guys that we recorded with. Just because we both love it. <laughs> so we haven't been able to like make those points to one another. So, yeah. Uh, but I do love it. Even with Adam Scott's horrendously fake beard. Um, it's part of the joke. Yeah. And the, the rewatch, I know we quoted it on the episode, but just the, she's Rizzo tough and tender. <laughs> <laughs> always get a reaction out of me. And the scene he shares with, um, I almost called him his character's name, Sean O'Connell, uh, Sean Penn, Sean Penn. The, the scene they share is just absolutely wonderful. When are you going to take it? Sometimes I don't. If I like a moment, I mean me, personally, I don't like to have the distraction of the camera. I just want to stay in it. right here so not not saying this is the best movie we've covered in the past year but this is what i will give the embry for succeeding at uh over succeeding in its realm yeah again i mean it's in the spirit of the embry it's a movie that tries it just you can never accuse a movie of not trying except maybe that benjamin button <laughs> sequence <laughs> um i i have it as one of my runner-ups uh my other runner-up is the upside because again, God damn it, Julio! It just, dude, it's it's the movie's trying. Uh, I'm not gonna give it the award, but I gotta, I gotta. No, that goes to the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. <laughs> uh, I thought about it, but no, <laughs> no, Nightmare on Elm Street remake has too many problems. My love for <laughs> yes, love, it was made. My my appreciation for Nightmare on Elm Street remake is, and we acknowledged it in the episode. It's very strongly tied to just my experience of watching the original and so if we had an award for most improved remake it, it, <laughs> it would go to that but but no the embryo is about just like how hard are you trying and uh we'd call that the the chris hemsworth for what because he's better than his brother liam oh jesus <laughs> <laughs> but no to me uh the embry for movie goes to a movie that's also trying and succeeding for me a, a lot and we haven't brought it up at all during this uh this iteration of the festivities until now and that is birdman really yes let's go walk where are we going get you some coffee did i do something to disrespect you not yet I have a lot riding on this fucking plane. Oh, is that right? Yeah. People know who I am. 
Mike. Bullshit. They, they don't know you, your work, man. They know the guy from the bird suit who goes and tells coy, slightly vomitous stories on Letterman. Well, I'm sorry if I'm popular, Mike. Popular. You know, I don't give a shit. Popular? Popularity is the slutty little cousin of prestige, my friend. Okay, I don't even know what the fuck that means, so. Well, yeah. it, 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 it means my reputation is riding on this, and that's worth a, a, a lot. A lot, exactly. Right. Fuck right. you. Yes. If this doesn't work out for you, you fuck off back to your studio right. pals and dive back into that cultural genocide you guys are perpetrating. You know, a douchebag's born every minute. That was P.T. Barnum's premise when he invented the circus, and nothing much has changed. And you guys know that if you crank out any toxic piece of crap, people will line up and pay to see it. But long after you're gone, I'm gonna be on that stage, earning my living, bearing my soul, wrestling with complex human emotions. Right. That's what we do. Oh, so that, is that what tonight was about? You wrestling with complex emotions? Tonight was just about seeing if it's even alive, seeing if it can bleed. No, this isn't the backlot rigging. This is New York City. This is how we do things. Where are you going? They have coffee here. Ah. The gimmick that actually works, Michael Keaton's comeback, Edward Norton, who I considered for the for the supporting actor Embry, Zach Galifianakis, in probably the only other role that I like him in, in the movie beyond the first Hangover. It just it's a movie that just doesn't lit up because Birdman hadn't already won enough awards. <laughs> Man, it's, it's actually it's fitting because it's now. It just goes up and down. People love it. And then you get the backlash because it won all the awards. And now it's time to bring it back up. Fair enough. That was a good one, though. You snu- that, that snuck in. That, that was like a thief in the night. I didn't expect <laughs> that coming. All right. That's five years down to the Contrarians. Looking forward to another five. And that wraps up the uh, latest iteration of the Contrarian Awards. Handing out them Embrys, Rouseys, those Gads, and, of course, those sweet, sweet Ruffalos. <laughs> That double Ruffalo was handed <laughs> tonight. Um, we don't have plugs, but we do have the eternal plugs. Uh, yes, the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks, those being Last Stand and Summer of 99. You can go to com for more information on those sweet licks. And then our logo, which was done by our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Rodgieser. He has two podcasts, uh, Nacion Combi, which you can find in every podcatcher. Uh, it's about Peruvian stuff, mostly politics. And then he also has uh, Living in Peru, which is uh, an iVox podcast that's in English. And it's about uh, immigrants to Peru. Uh, you can contact him on Twitter at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can email him at mildemonios at hotmail.com. Uh, you can visit his website at mildemonios.pe. You can reach him every possible way. And you can just ask him for a logo, for comics, a hot take on a movie, whatever you want. Awesome. We appreciate y'all listening to us for this episode and everyone that you tune into. And if we do nothing else in the next years to come, we promise to continue to be right while y'all continue to be wrong. Thank you. All right, Alex, there's one more challenge for you here on this five-year celebration. So I hear. A surprise pop quiz. Sort of. 
okay. I, I, I let you prepare a little bit for this, but uh, it's pretty simple. I'm just going to give you the name of a podcast that one of our podcast friends, I, I compiled a list of uh, just basically the people that are the most active with us on social media, uh-huh. and people that are always either retweeting us or commenting on our tweets or just talking about our, our, our episodes, what have you. And uh, so you have to tell me what their show is about, where they're from, and the names of the hosts. Now, the big joke here is that I run Contrarian Prime, so I'm very familiar with these people. Yes. You are not. <laughs> All, well, I'm familiar with some of them. We've worked with some of them. and uh, We'll see. <laughs> you're banking on my horrible memory of names. Yes. I, I usually can grasp concepts and shit like that. And <laughs> But yeah, I have a very bad uh, thing with names. All right. So I do know if I just guess Australia for every one, I'll get <laughs> eventually, at least half of them right. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I, I put them alphabetically, and there's 13 of them. So we'll start with uh, the letter B, Beyond the Box Set. What is it about? That's the one where they do like unnecessary sequels, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. And is it the UK that they're in? It is the UK. Okay. Two for two. Off to a good start. Name of the hosts. I did do research on this because I've listened to at least one of everything that like has interacted or plugged us just because I feel it's due diligence. But then knowing this was coming, I at least <laughs> did a... Uh, is it John and Harry? Is that them? Yes. Okay. Oh my God, that's that's very surprising. Um, I I honestly was not expecting you to get that one. Okay. Um. All right. Uh. Number two. This one you should have because I I plugged it a couple episodes ago. Uh. The countdown. Well, it's just like a top ten one, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The top ten lists. Uh. From where? Uh. This I'll pull the the, the trump card of uh, or poor choice of words. Um. <laughs> This will be the bugshot. Australia? It is Australia. Okay, there we go. All right. Names of the hosts? Uh, There's a Paul, right? Yes. Okay. That's all I'm going to get. <laughs> Paul and Wayne. 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 <laughs> all right. Uh, this one should be easy. Draft Zero. Never fucking heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's our boy Chaz and Stu. Yes. Our boys. It's about screenwriting. Yes. Yeah. And then From- Australia. <laughs> Um, epic film guys. Oh man, those fuckers. Uh, <laughs> Nick and Justin. I don't remember the third guy. Yeah, the third guy goes by Loy Sauce, real name Brian. Okay, Brian Loy. What is, is, is he about? the one with green hair? No, that's Justin. Justin. Okay, because we we worked with Nick when we did. Right, Nick yeah. was the the main guy we, running the yeah. the live stream for the Cure. Uh, my understanding is they just review like movies and television shows. Is it? Yeah, do most they have movies. Much of a gimmick. I mean, it's just that they're so fucking passionate about every single thing they oh, say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we were sworn at repeatedly for making <laughs> Nick watch that movie. Um, where are they from, Alex? Uh, U.S. <laughs> the good old USA. Is it New York? Yes. I yeah. think one of them is in New York. The other one's in Virginia, maybe. Because the guy who helped us in the green room, I remember him making a reference about New York because we talked about wrestling really briefly and you had no idea what we were talking about. Always. <laughs> um, film Busters. Okay, so there's Ben. Yes. Because me and him have good interactions on Twitter. Uh, I think there's another Paul. Yes. And is it Adam? Is it? Yes. Okay. Good. Uh, ben, Paul, and Adam. Adam, I get the feeling just from listening to their episodes that he's the youngest. 
but I could be wrong. Dude, yeah, they used me as a reference in one of their quizzes on their show. I, I got to remember these guys, man. Um, what's their show about and where are they from? Uh, are they UK? Yes, they are UK. Okay. They discuss movies and is it their favorite movies they talk about? I know they do like quizzes and like thematic quizzes and things like that. Yeah, they're just in movies. Okay. Do movies. Uh, man, you're killing this. Uh, <laughs> this is where you get tripped up. I'm pretty sure. Films on trial. Uh, I know one of them is Alex because my name's Alex. Yes. And this, uh, you've told me about this one enough times for me to remember. It's I mean, the, we plugged it at some point. Yeah. Um, and just because I found it so fascinating, they act as the judge, jury, and like sentencing of a movie. Where are they from? Let's go with Old Faithful. Uh, is it Australia? No, it's the UK. UK. Damn it. All right. They don't talk like me. I know that much. <laughs> so you have Alex. Anybody else? Um, it took me several listens to actually be able to parse out who was talking because there's a lot of people there no i just uh, selfishly or egotistically narcissistically i just remember alex, <laughs> alex. Yeah. uh there's gav dave joel and austin uh but then sometimes they call uh austin aussie and sometimes they call alex something else so really for a while i thought it was like 10 people <laughs> doing that show and now I can like I can pick up who's talking just by it's hearing the friends the, the, of podcasts. Yeah. Um, all right. Number seven for your reference. Is this Odie? <laughs> Close. O T. Okay. Um, shit. Do they do television and film? Yes, they do television and film. Okay. Where are they from? Um, they're from Australia. Yes, they yeah. are. All right. O T and. Not gonna hit it. Not gonna happen. She's gonna hate it. KT, she's the one that runs the the Twitter account. Oh, actually, no. yeah. Okay. They're so they're from Australia, but I'm pretty sure. Well, I know at least OT is from somewhere in Africa. He has he doesn't have an Australian accent. He has like a, an African mm-hmm. accent, which is like instantly makes him stand out on my uh, playlist. I'm not sure about KT. She probably should have asked her before I put up this quiz. Now number eight. IMDb Journey. Dean and Dan. Yes. From where? Australia. <laughs> what do they do? They, they're they off to cover the top 250 movies on IMDb and very make very non-consensual love to the contrarians every time they're matched up in their competition. <laughs> Number nine, movie reviews and 20 cues. That's our boy Sam. Uh, they Is his wife's name Dory? No, but there is a Dory in one of their episodes. I think they have a friend that's named Dory. That's been a couple of episodes. No, his okay. wife's name is Stacy. Stacy. Apologies. Um, they were saying a baby. And they're on a hiatus. They review movies asking 20 <laughs> questions. Where are they from? Uh, New Zealand. Yes, New Zealand. I thought you were going to say Australia. No. And just get the, the wrath of all New Zealands. Yeah, no. I'm... New Zealand. New Zealanders. Kiwis. We spent... A late night with Sam putting together that episode. So, you know, we got the connection there. Um, number 10, Netflix and Swill. Those are fellow Americans yes. uh, that drink and watch Netflix originals. <laughs> Can you remember their names? Is one of them John? No. <laughs> is one of them Caleb? Yes. Okay. Uh, is it Caleb and Dan? Yes. Okay. Dan, who was the guy running the, the green room at Livestream for the Cure. Yes. Okay. All right. This one should be easy. Number 11, Spit and Polish. Ryan and Bartek. Yes. Yeah. From where? Australia. Yes. Yeah. Although, they're Polish. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, kind of in our vein, 
uh, or something we can empathize with. But they stick strictly to shit movies and try to make a case for, or like celebrate the shittiness of them. Right. And they're being 100% sincere. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As we learned in our uh, Walter Mitty episode. Yeah. I guess, well, they used to do that. Uh, and now lately they just take requests from people and they do the movies. So they're not sticking just to shitty movies. Or movies perceived as shitty. Um, that was the the original mission statement. Right, them, yeah, right? when they were doing underappreciated masterpieces. Uh, number 12, Tasteless. That's Emily from L.A., right? Is it from L.A.? If she's from L.A., you know more about her than I do already. <laughs> but she is Emily. And she's American. Yes. Did, yeah, okay. And then she basically talks about movies that, not necessarily that they're bad, they're just kind of hidden gems, I guess, would be... Yeah, yeah, it's close enough. She picks a movie that's kind of, uh, in her mind, underrated and compares it to a movie that she thinks is overrated. She accents the, hides the negatives, accents the positives. Yes. Finally, number 13, We Watched a Thing. Okay, I always remember this because the first time it, you brought it up to me, they they were the the bears. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they used to be bears on film. Yeah, and it's uh, Billy and Topher, and they basically choose movies that the other one hasn't seen to review and celebrate every now and then they'll grab something that they they're i mean i guess a new release but yeah mm-hmm. when they do their picks they pick something that the other one hasn't seen do you remember where they're from <sighs> shit are they australia yes they okay. are <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt yeah the, the film, pos- thing- film podcasting community when in doubt uh the other thing is uh one of them is a cameraman the other one is a special effects artist mm-hmm. so they always look at it and i couldn't tell you which is which which i feel bad about <laughs> but yeah they always look at it also from that angle you can talk hear them talk about the visual aspect uh, in a very specific way i love their twitter picture and their um i don't even know what you call it a, a header just the ridiculous animation of them i think it's really <laughs> funny um i got a, a bonus one for you nation combi hands rod geezer <laughs> from which country uh i was gonna say south america jesus <laughs> from peru yes uh what what's their podcast about uh it's that's the one about um is that living no that's not living in peru that's his other one right um talks about like peruvian politics and shit and movies yeah mostly yeah. peruvian stuff peruvian politics current affairs you were on it i thought it was like the peruvian version of the today show <laughs> do you have any idea of the names of his two co-hosts i watched that episode with you and i understood <laughs> the contrarians <laughs> that would be uh, eric and carlos you did amazingly well. So far beyond what I expected you to do. <laughs> Dude, I don't, yeah. When you gave me a hinkling of this, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, didn't want to make it seem like I don't appreciate our audience. So <laughs> made sure to bone up on it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you to those podcasts and all the other podcasts. I just didn't want to have like a list of 50 to quiz Alex on. But uh, yeah, anybody that, uh, is part of the community and and supports us. Thank you very much. Hell yeah. Fuck you for doubting me, Julio.